Welcome, you trout bum troubadours, you hatch-matching, code-cracking, bug-crazed crusaders, and of course, you perfect D-loop, sustained anchor-throwing, Skagit space savors to another riveting episode of Hollow Waters Journal Podcast. I am your host, Matthias Mieczysław Spinski, otherwise known as Natty in Buffalo, New York. Um, but uh, yes, I am here and we have today a wonderful guest that is going to talk about a riveting, geez, why do I use the word riveting? It's kind of creepy, but I like the word riveting. It's just sort of like suspense, like a murder mystery. Everybody's watching murder mysteries today and I, I just can't take on a murder mystery. It's out of control. Sorry, Charles Cutter out there, but getting crazy but anyways we are here and um we want to first thank all our subscribers uh, out there uh, there's so many they're coming in by the droves and we really appreciate that if you want to come here an old white dude and another old white dude guest talk and i promise to bring more diversity to this podcast and this platform and uh we're going to be uh featuring a wonderful lady uh on the next issue and then we're going to be featuring a 10 year old child prodigy so we're going to get a little more diversified than just a bunch of old old guys like us. Guyses, as they say. Uh, uh, my sincere apologies to the Buffalo Bills for losing. But I tell you what, those Bengals, they were pretty amazing. That that new quarterback, God, man, he's, he's as good as a lot of those great tennis players. And I've been watching a lot of Australian Open uh, lately. And uh, all our big guns are crashing out, but the Americans are flying high at the Australian Open. And, all those young college kids, God bless them. They're just absolutely amazing. Um, but anyways, uh, thanks to our subscribership, we're getting tons of emails from people all over the world. I'm getting people driving from, geez, from Hamburg to, Den- to, Med- to Denmark and people driving under the channel and people out in the boonies of the West Coast and secluded rainforests chasing Sasquatches and doing all kinds of crazy things. Um, but anyways, thank you so much for all that. Uh, we've gotten tons of emails and questions for our guest today. But first of all, prayers for Ukraine, uh, the hardship uh, that they're going through uh, with this madman. And I'm afraid it's going to get worse in the springtime. Thank you to Poland for uh, being so absorbing and, and allowing for all these people to come in and as a haven. And uh, damn that man, Putin. He's a sick puppy. And uh, we hope uh, he comes to a speedy end, which is a slow six feet under uh, approach because it's the, the amount of lives he's changing is, is is scary and we don't talk about it anymore but it's a full-blown war in today's day and age to have a full-blown world war ii going on is is un, unfathomable also i want to say hello to all the people with hardships to people with disabilities with health issues people that can't get out in the stream and enjoy a day on water and and and, and do their fishing and hunting and fly casting and all the things that we can't do. So we hope that you um, you are, can come to the stream with us here 
at the Hollowed Waters podcast and listen to the topics we have and uh, hang in there. God bless you. Blessings and prayers for you. Uh, and also prayers for the madhouse this country is in right now. I mean, you know, are we going to figure out this classified bullshit? It's getting out of control. Uh, it's demoralizing the American people. And it's, it's so, so shameful to have misbehaved children, adult children acting like misbehaved children uh, that are running our country. So uh, God help us on that one. But uh, anyways, our podcast um, is today is with a guest that uh, has had a chance um, to, to gallivant the world traveling Um he is the editor of Trout Unlimited's outstanding journal, Trout Magazine. Um, he has done an amazing job with this magazine, and it's it's one magazine I actually read every page of. And uh, he has really taken it to a new level. And uh, uh, bravo to to him for doing that. It's it's truly about the trout, the salmon, the steelhead, the cold water fisheries, and and focusing on the fish. Um, and, you know, um, it's what we, I think, need to do more of today. And that's what our topic is going to be. Um, it's all about the fish and the passion. And we're going to get in in this topic title called The New Age of Hype, Politics, Narcissism, Woke, and Becoming Self-Absorbed on a Trout Stream. Uh, when is enough is enough? And and where do you fit into all this? And a lot of people are, you know, kind of disgusted with it, but um, we're going to talk about that and we're going to see how do you get some perspective and we're going to have some interesting opinions. We have some interesting questions. Um, he's the author of uh, this guest today is the author of several outstanding books, Trout Tips, a TU compilation of uh, suggestions from TU people. He did a beautiful little book called The Little Red Book of Fly Fishing. Um, and we're going to talk a little bit about that. Uh, he did the Orvis Guide to Carp Fishing, which is something I don't do anymore because I grew up in, in a chemically sewer infested city of Niagara Falls, where if you went near a carp, you would probably turn into a Chernobyl reactor. So uh, they love those chemicals there, but I know it's big sport. And uh, uh, I, I know uh, my buddy there, I spent some time within the Catskills. Mr. Mr. Rosenbauer T is uh, loves the carp stuff too. And I think Kirk probably Got the world excited about carp. We're going to talk about that. He has traveled the world in search of wild trout in wild places. He has been so kind to write for Howard Waters Journal and has been given wonderful accolades to Howard Waters and Trout Magazine and including my Nexus book, which he, he gave incredible accolades to. So Lori and I are so appreciative of that and many thanks for that kind, sir. And uh, another check is in the mail to you, Kirk, as we speak, and it is signed to you cash. And, uh, you know, you just go and cash it. And uh, go from there. But without further ado, to talk about these riveting, emotionally charged issues, I am so proud to introduce the mind and mensch behind TU's magnificent magazine. A kind man that whispers to wild trout saying, we are cheering for you. Hang in there. Keep swimming and bringing joy to millions around the globe. The one and only. Thank God for that. Hard copy comrade of the controversial and contestable ink that makes us think about our streamside etiquette, moral code, and bed manners. May I introduce Mr. Kirk Dieter? How are you, Mr. Kirk Dieter? I'm fantastic. I'm speechless. I don't. I, it's hard to start a podcast speechless, uh, but I've never had an introduction quite like that one, my friend. So thank you. It was very kind. 
that's that's my that's my five seconds of fame right there, you know, to just <laughs> to think of all this crazy shit right there. So um yeah, so we're gonna talk about things, you know, um emotions. I think the emotions that fly fishing has brought out and people over, you know, this has been going on. I, I read back when Gordon was in the Catskills and 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 he didn't share things with another guy and another guy and, and you didn't share things with him because he might know things and no, oh, he doesn't know what he's talking about and all oh, that's bullshit. And I, you know, I go back and see, read all the great history of, you know, what was it, was the world better than was, was things more pure than and simpler than no, it was just a bunch of old white dudes. A grumpy old man is a perfect example of the movie with Walter Matthau. And uh, you know, it's, it's so simple that, Fly fishing and especially fly fishing because it takes you to a new level, but it brings out so much cerebral emotion qualities of thinking and empiricism and emotion, and 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 that hasn't changed. And then when I go to lived in D.C., I go to to fish the Latorte, and I run into Marinero and Fox and those guys when I was a twenty something, and they had the Latorte ruggers sitting on the benches, and everybody hated everybody and talked about. It. And then Lefty would show up, and oh, Lefty doesn't know what the hell is he talking about, and he doesn't know what he's talking about. So we have a world choked with cynicism and woke and narcissism and all that great stuff. And that's what we're going to talk about today with this man, because he is addressing these issues and he's, he's trying to bring them to light and saying, Hey man, look at what you're doing. Where, where do you fit in? What's more important, you or the fish? So we're going to talk about that. But first of all, Kirk, um, I want to um, ask you, where did it all start for you? Where was that passion formed? Um, how did you fall in love with fishing, hunting? Was it, you know, parents or, or grandfathers or uncles or friends? And, and then where did you say, hey, man, I'm going to be an editor and, and I'm going to do a fishing magazine and I'm going to try to make a world. This Give me the whole rundown of that whole background. Okay. Well, I was always uh, a fishy little dude when I was growing up. I grew up on Lake Michigan on the Wisconsin side of the lake uh, and Loved to fish, would ride my bike over to the piers and fish, uh, conventional stuff. I'd throw Johnson spoons and try to catch a salmon. And sometimes I did and, and all that. So it was, uh, something that I just latched onto early on. I didn't fly fish until college. And it was because I was dating a girl and her parents had a cabin on a river, happened to be the Baldwin River in Michigan. And uh, I went up there to visit. I had no idea why anyone would have a cabin on a river because, you know, for me, cabins were on lakes where you'd go water skiing and sailboating and all that stuff. And anyway, I went and visited and they put me on some waders and sent me downstream. And a couple hours later, she came to check on me. I was hooked up and asked if I had to come back yet, you know, and, and uh, we've been married for 33 years now. And uh, so my fly fishing home. My my mom and dad didn't really fly fish. My grandfather didn't fly fish. But when I started uh, dating my now wife, her father became my fly fishing mentor and uh, caught my first fish was a brown trout on the Baldwin. And, you know, the history um, better than anybody, Matt. But like, you know, the brown, Baldwin was one of the first places that they put brown trout in the country in 1884 or thereabouts. And, uh, you know, it's this great irony that that little fish has led me all over the world now. And I didn't see it coming, you know, when I was catching a fish, uh, 
with my father-in-law or would be my father-in-law. Um, who knew that it would blossom into a, a fascination that would literally lead me to other places where the brown trout were like Tasmania and Australia and New Zealand and Chile and Argentina and Iceland and other places. And, um, but I've been fascinated with that fish and all trout fishing all along. As far as the writing is concerned, I was a, I was a newspaper reporter out of school and, and, um, always liked writing, um, just didn't have a break in the outdoor stuff until I, um, I was working on a book. It was just a, a, an excuse to go fishing, but we were doing a book on guides and it was my cousin, Andrew and I, and, uh, Terry Gunn out in Lee's Ferry, Arizona had been asked by John Randolph to do a story on Lee's Ferry. And Terry said, I, you know, I don't, I have all the photos, but I don't really have the time to write it. And, uh, so he called John Randolph and said, "How about you try this Dieter kid out and see if he could work on a story?" And I did, and I ran with it, and uh, that was my first fishing story that I ever got published. So that was amazing. And then, what was, the, what was that? Uh, when was that? It was like 1996, 1997, something like that. I probably, I probably read that story. What story was it? It was on Lee's Ferry, I think. It oh, Lee's Ferry, right, right, right. Yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah, yeah. That, I, I remember seeing that one. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So then I did some other, started to do freelance work and writing a little bit more about fishing and it fueled the fire and so forth. And and uh, I actually moved out west. I moved to Colorado in 1999 from Philadelphia area and uh, was only here a couple years, was about out of money. And I almost took a corporate job back east. But on a whim, I threw my hat in the ring for a deputy editorship job at Field and Stream magazine. And I went to apply, and Sid Evans called me and said, sure, come on in. So I was visiting my folks in Philly, and I took the train into New York, and I sat with Sid. And Sid said, you know, why would you want to come here? You live in Colorado. How, how many days a year do you fish in Colorado now? I was like, well, I don't know, 150 days a year. So why would you want to take a train and ride into New York and work in a cubicle? And I said, well, it's field and stream, man. It's the, it's the Yankee pinstripes of outdoor riding world. Yeah. And he said, tell you what, why don't you stay out there in Colorado and write stories for field and stream magazine, which was really the nicest thing that anyone ever did for me. And uh, professionally and had a lot of mentors along the way. You know, got to meet Charlie Myers from the Denver Post, worked on a little red book with him. I had John Merwin from Field and Stream who would mentor me often. And uh, you, you can't you can't cut this. No one ever cuts a writing path like you know this better than anybody. Nobody cuts a path in the writing and outdoor world on their own without yeah. some mentorship and support and encouragement. Yeah. Be that from their family or their, you know friends or someone who's willing to take them under the wing and show them some things. And, and so that's kind of where I'm at myself now being the editor, I'm trying to cultivate new talent and help younger people um, find their way along and keep that flame going a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh, you're so right about, you know, mentorships and uh, you know, I got my first article published in Fly Fisherman back in the late 80s, and Nick Lyons was my mentor, and he taught me how to write. I was uh, 
I was a hotel executive, a food and beverage director at the Sheridan Washington. And I met Nick at a booksellers convention. He had the suite. He had a suite up in the Sheridan Washington Hotel. And I just saw his name on a on a VIP list. And I said, holy shit, it's Nick Lyons. I, I got an article here about limestone spring creeks. And I'm going to go up to his room, bring him Dom Perignon, big buckets of iced lobster tails and shrimp and caviar and and all that great stuff. And at the same time, say, Mr. Lyons, welcome to the Sharon Washington. By the way, here's a manuscript for you, sir. Can you possibly <laughs> look it over and maybe give it some validity? And he did that. And uh, yeah, I gave him two free uh, vouchers for a Sunday brunch and a dinner in America's restaurant. And boy, it's amazing how sometimes you just got to pay your way into glory and fame and fortune. And uh, But he edited my work and he Man, when he sent it back to me, that limestone Spring Creek trouted piece, which would I think came out in '89 or '88 somewhere, was like a bloody rag that OJ was trying to hide somewhere. I mean, it was so bad that I mean, he just tore it up. But at the at the end, he says, "You're going to be a phenomenal writer. Just don't write so much." And uh, so he edited it, sent it into Randolph. Randolph sent me a check for four hundred bucks, and I was I was famous. You know, I was. There you go. I'm a millionaire. I am going to places like no one else is going. Do you know who I am? Damn it. Um, so we're going to talk about all that fame, Flory, fleeting, fleeting glory and Flory. I call it Flory, fleeting glory uh, today. Um, and we're going to, you know, we're going to talk about these serious issues. But yeah, it, it mentorships. And now look at you're doing great things out there. And you love brown trout. We're going to talk about brown trout. We're going to talk about food, too, because you said let's talk about food. Um, but you know, I, I think um, this this podcast is going to talk about some emotional issues, and and that, that is ever so much in the mind of people today. And it's uh, keep in mind, it's a podcast of the opinions of two old white dudes, but two old white dudes that have traveled a lot, written a lot of books and articles, two provocateurs, I'd say, of all what we're maybe contradicting today, and looking at the mirror at what we do in ourselves and those behaviors and how they relate to preserving wild trout and salmon forever, which is our focus as you know, in when hollowed waters in my magazine, what Kirk does with trout, it's cold water resources, the future of trout and salmon. And boy, there's a lot of bleakness to be had right now. Things going on, climate change and, and, and social media and heroics and narcissism, political correctness and wokeism and all that great stuff. And we're going to talk about these serious issues and we got some great questions, but seriously, in, you know, in my opinion, in my opening statement, I guess, I think people have had enough of all the hype and crazy circus commercialism, that's going on. It's found its way into a quiet sport of fly fishing in a trout stream. We're supposed to escape and relax and, 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 you know, but today we promote the commercialism, the marketing, the hype, the destinations, exotic things, better tackle, bigger, better, more now it's, you know, but what about those poor fish that are still swimming? They haven't really changed much in a million years. They're, they're just there. Yet we're changing at such a rapid way rate. And those fish aren't changing. And how does all this fit in? Uh, the heroes, heroism, the vanity, the mug shots, the fish shots, creating icons uh, when the icons really should be the fish, in my opinion. Well, what happened to the peaceful pace that you went to find nature's beauty, find yourself, worship the passion of fishing and the beauty of nature? Where is that all gone? And then you turn around, there's somebody saying, hey, buddy, you're fishing in my spot. Get the hell out of here. Or you know what? You can't fish here or you don't know what you're doing. You need to do this. And uh, so 
we've gotten, I think, at the pinnacle of elitism and of of narcissism and all about me. And um, a lot of people are probably agreeing with me right now. And, you know, we live in a silent, we live in a very cynical, politically correct, transparent world, but it's all done on a keyboard with a flick of a thumb up or a flick of a thumb down. And it's almost like we're living in, 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 in the decay of the Roman empire. And I saw something on, on, on the internet, on social media of somebody saying, you know, we, is America at the decay of the Roman Empire? Are we at the worst of ever it's ever been? And, and our, is our society values falling apart and our moralism? And one person chimed in and says, no, we, we can't. We're not as we're not like Rome, because at least Rome had good roads, um, which in Michigan, we have horrendous roads, even though our Michigan, our governor says, oh, fix the damn roads, damn it. But they're, they're just they're trap. I go to other places like South Carolina, Virginia, North Carolina, they got beautiful roads. Even oh, Indiana has beautiful roads. But anyways, where are we at this whole stage? And, um, you know, has elitism in fly fishing um, really got a little crazy? And we're going to talk about that. And we're going to talk about your latest piece, Kirk. You wrote a, a very interesting piece about elitism in fly fishing. And I want you to tell us about that, what inspired that, and, and where you stand on that. And uh, please go read it, listeners, if you haven't. Uh, but you're going to hear it from the guy who did it. So the floor is yours, the kind gentleman from Colorado. <laughs> well, I I launched a new column. I, I, last year, I had a sabbatical from Trout Unlimited. And uh, after 10 years at TU, they let you take three months off a paid leave. And I was going to take those three months and and work on a book. And as I started working on a book, I started thinking more about these other issues that were pressing more, you know, the ones that keep me up at night, you know, crowds and rivers and if, you know, how we get along with each other and how we share the resources and, you know, catch and release and those types of things. And I said, that's really not a book. That's a column. So I, I've, I've launched a new column that is called the true cast. And it's basically, you know, what I really think about some of the stuff and some of the things that I haven't really mustered the courage to write about that much in the past. But I think it's time that we do talk about some of these things. And the goal is, again, uh, you know, one thing I've, I've learned um, over the years, probably the most important lesson is that people love to be taught how to fish and they hate to be told how to fish. And there's a difference between the two. It's a very subtle difference, but it's important to, to call that out. So like, as we talk about these issues, I'm a generally a glass half full kind of guy. I'm still an optimist. I don't see the, the decay of the Roman empire happening all around us. I think, you know, there are certain things that we do need to address and we need to fix, but they're fixable or they're, 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 they're things that we can at, at least work on. Um, and, um, so happy to, happy to talk about that, but I think that your question to, to the original question about elitism in the sport, I think that that's really the starting spot. And that's why I wanted to, um, lead my column with the first thing being a question is fly fishing an elitist pursuit. And every once in a while, I, as editor of trout magazine, get a, a nasty gram from somebody who says, you know, you're on your high horse. All you guys talk about is fly fishing, blah, blah, blah. You need to talk about bait fishing and gear fishing and all that stuff. And 
My response to that is, look, all fishing is good fishing. Now, for TU and that audience, 96% of our members are fly anglers. And a lot of people have a hard time reconciling a treble hook in conservation. That's just a fact. Um, but there are ways to you know, conventional fish, uh, for trout. I, I, I you know, I kind of like using conventional gear for other things like bass and pike and so forth. It's not the gear you use, it's the fish, it's the it's the it's how you approach the water, it's the experience you make of it. You know, and the willingness to share that, I think that's the, that's an important thing. Uh, whether, you know, it's, it's about puzzle solving. It's, you know, it's, uh, fishing appeals to a certain personality that likes to fix problems, likes to, you know, how am I going to put this little hook in the mouth of that fish living creature, you know, 25 yards away? Uh, and that's a puzzle that I'm trying to solve in my head. Um, we use different tools to solve that puzzle. You know, and then, but it, it's ultimately at the same, at the end of the day, it's the same kind of mindset. So I think my point of that first column was the more we stop, you know, proud, a fly angler should be proud to be a fly angler. A gear angler can be proud to be a gear angler. You know, let's not piss in each other's Cheerios over the type of tools that you use. Rather, let's unite and figure out how to make water healthier and fish more resilient and Let's talk about climate change. Let's talk about those real issues instead of, you know, something as silly as the kind of rod that you like to use when you go fishing. So that was my two cents on that. <laughs> so, I haven't been tarred and feathered yet about that one, but uh, actually 99% of the feedback I've gotten has been like really positive and attaboy and thank you. So it encourages me to keep going and tackling the next one and the next one. Yeah, that's, uh, yeah. Uh, it's so true. And, and, um, you know, you got to take a middle of the road to look at it, but you got to, you know, every once in a while, you got to take a hard cynical approach to things and look at things and just, um, and say, where are we going? Have we created this circus atmosphere in fly fishing? Is it a freak show of media and purveyors now? Um, is media magazines, the purveyors of putting more people on the world, creating on the water, creating monstrous insatiable ones like ADHD sheep with fly rods wanting more and more. You know, uh, our fly tackle dealers to blame. Uh, we uh, we advertise, you know, we try to advertise being so pure and wholesome, but we're just fueling this whole thing. And I'm going to ask you about, uh, you know, your your experience with the fly tackle dealers thing. And I should, I know you have to be politically correct. And, and readers, you know, we, we, we really, we're going to try to be as transparent as possible on these issues. But there's a certain thing you have to always be afraid. Like, like, like Kirk said before, I was always afraid to write things because I didn't know how it would be taken. And in today's very critical woke world, there's people trolling all the time, just ready to slam your ass as fast as they can because you did a picture of something and they didn't like the way the picture was taken or you did this or you posted a spot and there's trees in the background. People know where that is and I'm going to kick your ass on, on, on an instant message and tell you you can't do that. And so we're almost like we're, 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 we're living in fear. A world of fear. We should be enjoying. We should be enjoying what we have, but instead we live in a fear to say the truth, to say what we want to say, to do or post things, because we live in this um, in this Roman Colosseum of social media, and that Roman Colosseum has created little Caesars out of us that put their thumbs up or thumbs down to you know jab them in the neck. You gladiator, get rid of that Christian and 
send them off to the lions. I mean, it's like one little move and you're, you're tainted for 48 hours of, so, you know, I think that whole thing, we're going to talk about social media, but that has created a monster, but you know, we, the, the, the media, the magazines, the, you know, the cover shots, the, the mug shots, the same old people, the same old stuff, the same old junk, you know, are people getting fed up with that? Are they, you know, a lot of, you know, I've been on those things. I've been on covers. I've done those things. I've taken shots at, and, you know, I, I ask my clients and, you know, my being a guide is good grounding for me. You know, if I just sat in a glass temple of a editorship and just filtered through things and gave thumbs up and thumbs down and say, no, I'm not feeling that. Well, I just don't feel that, you know, I mean, it's not feeling it for me. You know, we, we play these little, little mini tyrannical Caesars, in the world of fly fishing today and we just judge things and we just scoff at him and put him off or he doesn't know it. he's a jerk or he's controversial or he's a wimp or he hasn't paid his dues. We're just judging way too much. And, and where does it all stop? And have we created those monsters as media magazines, you know, all this narcissism and, you know, it's about, the, you know, who cares about us? You know, maybe we should just have like a emoji picture of a fake shell, a skeleton holding a fish. But it's gotten crazy. And, uh, you know, we talk about transparency and, and we talk about being, you know, diverse and trying to do good things in life. So that's the latest craze. So we've taken what's modeled in social, in our society today and transporting it. So we're now, you know, we're doing a lot of ethnicity in our flesh, you know, commercials and a lot of people of color and the people of different races and and, you know, we're appealing to, you know, what you see on TV, a lot of those commercials, you know, you don't, I'm not talking any racial, yeah, I'm pertaining to racial stuff here, but, you know, we want to do well and teach the world how to love each other and do well in fly fishing and, and can we all get along and, you know, we want to be more diverse in fly fishing and get more ethnicity and get, go to the get. So, you know, I put this all down to, you know, are we really try are we really walking the talk and are we really doing what we were all saying we think we should be doing because i don't see too many rod companies going to ghettos right now and putting fly rods in every impoverished children's hand along with some non-tainted pfos water uh bottles uh but we do it in richy suburbs in in elite suburbs that have you know, places where we do fly training for those people that, cause we know they're going to buy five, six, $7,000 worth of equipment. Where does that all go? Where did it start? Where did that, where did that, you know, fly tackle and purveyor and that boats and anything clothing and anything to do with it. And I got to give hundred percent credit to, to, to Yvonne Schnard, my buddy who's done so well with Patagonia and has literally walked the talk and talked the walk and he's done what he said he was going to do and, and give money back to the environment and, do great things, but where do we go with that? Have we created too many of the monsters with, you know, putting, trying to put a rod into everybody's hands. And I think Kirk, you have some really good insight because you sit, um, I think on the board of, of the tackle dealers and stuff like that. And so give us your little thoughts on that and uh, feel free to say what you think. Sure. Well, you know, as a baseline, I think that the sport, any outdoor sport, any sport, any, any pursuit, is healthiest when it's reflective of the real demographic of the country. So um, if it's, I think we do have a ways to go to be more inclusive. And I think we do need to strive for 
diversity. I think we do need to be more gender balanced in our in fly fishing. I think those are all noble goals and important because I think they ultimately create a more healthy and sustainable uh, base, consumer base that's going to be um, around and reflective of the country as a whole. And those are things that I th- I think that are worthy. And so. You know, as an editor, I, I'm always looking for um, yeah, I'm looking for the best talent. Period. When I'm looking for photographs and 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 stories and other things that we work on, but you know, it's sometimes you have to look harder and and try to uh, open up doors. And and the, the new theme for the new Trout Magazine is new voices, and I'm trying to find um, more voices to to add because I think. The more voices that you have in the choir, the more rich the sounds and the more interesting the debates are and the discussions are and all that stuff. So that's that's where I stand on that. As far as, you know, I think I think that the um, one phenomenon that we've we've kind of experienced in the last 30 years, people talk about fly fishing and the transformation that you know a river runs through it came out in the early nineties and on the silver screen, of course, the book was the novella was awesome. And and I think, you know, that's what I like to say is what, one of the things that changed me is, 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 um, you know, Norman McLean's writing and the novella, but the, the film was also very popular and got Brad Pitt on the screen and blah, 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 and, and got people into the rivers. And people say that that transformed fly fishing. I don't, you know, I think that that was part of it for sure. That was a spark, but I think what more transformed fly fishing was this technological revolution and in the internet that was happening at the same time, uh, and the advent of handheld devices and things like that. You know, like, and now we live in an age of instant gratification. Like, if I want to know who was the prime minister of the United Kingdom in 1893. I mean, back when I was in college, I had to go to the library and sort through the Encyclopedia Botanica and figure out ways to to find something like that. It would take me like hours and hours to figure out a question like that. Now I pick up my phone and boom, I got the answer in 25 seconds or less. Yep. And I think it's the same with fishing. You know, you would go, and you would spend hours on the stream figuring out the hatch and you would read the the great works that, you know, Ernest Schwiebert would write something and you would keep your catalogs of Fly Fisherman magazine so you could backtrack and figure stuff out. And now you want to know what's hatching on the Deschutes. You pick up your phone and you and you pop, 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 and there you go. You instant gratification. So you paid your dues by just picking up your damn iPhone knowing how to use it, right? Yeah, sure. Right. Yeah, right. Right. I'm an expert now, too. <laughs> I mean, so, some. It, I try not to come across as a, an old fart. I always promised myself that I would never do that, you know, because the funny thing is, is that when I was 30 years old, I wa- wanted to be a hard charger and fly fishing. And I had gotten I grabbed onto this and I, I, I wanted to change the world and I wanted to do all this cool stuff. And you know what? It took me traveling and rolling the miles and going to 29 different countries and doing all this other stuff. And then I woke up one morning and I was 50 and I was like, Oh, I'm one of those guys now, you know, and that's going to happen to everybody. It happens to everybody. It takes while it still takes miles 
you have to roll the miles. You've got to put in the time. You've got to do those things to really have the credibility. There's really no substitute still, despite the fact. And I think what we wrestle with sometimes is the juxtaposition between what you see on a handheld device and what real credibility looks like, you know, and real substance and real purpose in fishing. And if they understand then um, you know, they, they have a real genuine spiritual connection to fishing and, and that types of those types of discussions are the ones that keep me up at night. You know, I, 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 I don't mind someone who's, you know, Instagram has, it has value for someone, you know, who wants to connect with someone across the country who might look different than other people or, or act different or whatever. They'll, they'll, that's a community that connects people. And that's good, I think. But, you know, it's a far cry, you know, to have an Insta following because of the pictures that you've taken hoiking fish out of the water and smiling. And, you know, that that's not the same as someone who's, pounded their dues and worked really hard and and gotten you know photographs and, and gone to art school and figured out how to be a photographer and those types of things so it's a balancing act i think the world's big enough for all of it but and, I, and i'm not here to criticize but i am here to i do i do like to i do believe in art and i do believe in storytelling and i do believe in the rich traditions and the good things that go with fly fishing. And I believe that those will transcend if we as media, you brought it up, do a better job of fostering that instead of caving into the, what sells the most biggest, baddest, fastest, you know, that kind of stuff. You know, it's. Amen on that. Amen. Yeah, I mean, what's what's always what I've always appreciated is how just how deep the pool really is, right? And so, like, the scratch and sniff stuff comes and goes, and and it bothers me sometimes. It bothers everybody sometimes, but I think, you know, instead of bitching about it, I'll just try to develop. I, I want to find a great storyteller. I want to find a great photographer, a great artist. I want to I want to highlight those things and show people what it really is, and 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 convey the real meanings and traditions and all those things of life family it's about family it's about friends it's it's about fish you know take care of the fish and the fishing takes care of itself yep. that's the old mantra from 1959 amen you know, amen that on that yeah hasn't changed hasn't changed what's changed yeah. so fish haven't changed you got you get me going on a on a Oh, I watch you. That's why. That's why you're here. I'm. You know, I would be talking to the two, two, two deer that are out at the bird feeder because my wife is out of town and she feeds the deer. And I'm like, don't feed the deer. And so I got deer <laughs> coming knocking on my door. Is Lori here? Is Lori here? She she puts all this stuff in the bird feeder, and there's like thirty deer in our backyard poking their noses in the bird feeder. And when she stops feeding, they're sitting there, literally hanging out by the front door, waiting for her to come back out. So. So, yeah. yeah, I could have them on, but I got you and I love you. And this is why we got why this thing, whole, the whole thing is going. But um, so social media, yeah, this is a whole, this is a whole big can of worms. It's, it's a devil's, it's the devil's workshop. You're going to die for going to social media. Instagram, YouTube's even worth because you are now a certified expert on YouTube. And now you got reels and your story and, and uh, what else could be. And I'm just as guilty of it. I post stuff on there, but you know, 
I've changed and we're going to talk about a very serious issue, hero shots and holding fish out of water and things like that, which you're going to be, you're going to have all kinds of, now we got one person that from uh, came in and asked you a nice question. And I gave you some crap about it, I think a couple summers ago, but um, you know, so you, you hit it on the head. Are we paying our dues? Are we, are we authentic? Um, you know, where does that, where did authenticity come from? I read books. I, I strive for knowledge. When I was a kid, I hung out in the library waiting for the first fly fishing book to come in and I took it home and stole it. And it was selective trout by Carl Richards and Swisher. And I didn't give it back. And my mother, my German mother, was this Matthias, what is going on here? Oh, she's Austrian, Polish, Austrian. But um, she she literally took me by the collar down to the library because I had like 15 overdue notices and I the book was torn up and I had to do hard labor. I talked about, it, I think, a Nexus book or selected Nexus book. I talked about it. I had to do hard labor and going down every Saturday and cleaning the library until I paid up for the torn book. But I was hungry for that knowledge. Um, where did it all go? Um, and, and, you know, the, the whole social media thing of insatiable thirst for bigger, better, more more everything boobs bikinis man it's out of control it's crazy it's what's what are you gonna do so diabolical next to to get a like on social media what what are you gonna take to the next level and 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 magazines are there's one magazine in particular that's very into the whole paparazzi and and it's where when does it all end and what suffers out of this whole thing the fish the habitat we're putting sheep with insatiable, bloodthirsty sheep with fly rods on the rivers. And what is suffering? The fish. What is the inevitable decline? Wild trout, their habitats, wild salmon, wild steelhead. Look at what happened to the West Coast steelhead. Yeah, there's, it's a quagmire. There's, it's a multitude of problems. And there's so many issues from over from commercial fishing to, to, to deforestation, to dams, to climate change, to acid rain. There's, there's a lot of things going on right now. But we're not helping that whole thing. We are adding to this whole thing. You know, let's talk about the, you know, the Montana trout, brown trout declines. They, you know, I saw one study that they're down in wild streams of 70% declines and brown trout, they're blaming on a lot of things. But you go there in the summertime and there's more people there than at uh, King's Dominion and Disney World. I mean, it's crazy. And COVID was another one. Uh, you know, look at Hoot Owl. Was, is, it, is it real or is it just a jokey Band-Aid patch, um, you know, I want to go to that issue. Um, will our liberal as well as capitalist money incentivize society have a future for wild trout and salmon? Will it'll be impossible unless we change our ways right now. Uh, and I don't, you know, the fish and the habitats are always one. And you guys, Trout Limited, are the protectors of this. But are you guys really geared and and prompted and 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 pledged to do all you guys can because i have some serious issues with trout unlimited as many people do too so let's talk a little bit about that you know the hoot owl and and all these things these little band-aids that we throw um you we and i were talking about the other day give us your your interpretation of that so i think we should go right to the right to the elephant in the room my friend and the thing, what's what's the number, what's the criteria since you were a little boy that you've judged a good fishing day? Now, now, now I'm not talking about Matt, the guide, the the person who's enlightened, who's done this long enough to know a great day is, is, is 
being out the water and being with people and experiencing nature and all that stuff, we, we get that. But for most people, like if I call my mother today and I say, mom, mom, I went fishing today. What's the first question she's going to ask me? How many did you catch? Right. Yep. How many Still did fishing. you catch? And it's, part of me thinks, well, that's never going to change. But I think what's happened is with more people, more people enjoying the sport, which is a good thing, right? You want people outside. You want families outside. You want people communing with nature. You want them to become stewards of the outdoor resources. You know, and that's good. But I think we need to start talking about catch capacity. You know, some of these rivers have, and some of these fish that you can't have a thousand people floating down the river trying to catch 50 fish every day and expect that river and those fish to last. We need to understand and have the, the, the straight up reality that anglers themselves are in this day and age a conservation challenge or a conservation consideration. You know, there's climate change, and then I think there's angler pressure are the things that, and, and how we go about our fishing. Again, people like to be taught how to fish. They hate to be told how to fish, but, you know, we need to be honest. The person who catches, endeavors to catch 50 fish a day by whatever means possible, even though they call themselves a catch and release angler, because there's five to 10 more percent mortality in catch and release, that person's killing more fish than the guy who catches two on a MEPS and, let, and puts him in the creel and takes him home and smokes him. But the one thinks he's on a, you know, changing the world course because he's quote unquote catch and release. These are things that Trout Unlimited and others, and I, I'm not afraid within Trout Unlimited to bring this stuff up. I, I think we have to. I think we have to talk about it. Not to, again, not to tell people how to fish or to put rules, but I, let's try, ultimately to find ways to better share the resource and ensure the health and the habitat and all those things. Because we can plant all the trees and put shady cover and take out the bad culverts and do all those things. Which is what Trout Unlimited does well. Which, what Trout Unlimited does well. And if all people are going to do is come down and pound the living shit out of the fish, none of that stuff's going to matter, in my opinion. That's not a, a Trout Unlimited opinion. That's a Kirk Dieter opinion. Kirk, who happens to be the editor of the magazine. So, um, that's yeah, my two and things. that's I've always appreciated that about you. You always were very willing to go out on a limb and, and say what you think. And regardless, you know, we're 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 you know editors, writers, publishers, whatever. But we're at the we always have somebody that pays the bills. We always have somebody does this and we always have to watch what we do. But what I appreciate about you is you've always been very transparent. You've always said what you think, regardless of what somebody else is going to say. And, and if you take a viewpoint, you will know right now, if I take a viewpoint, I am going to get slammed by somebody because somebody's going to woke my ass and somebody's going to say, Oh, he doesn't know what the hell he's talking about. Oh, he's caught up in his own little world. And that's what the age that we live in right now. You can't say shit out there because somebody's going to rip your ass apart. Okay. This is fly fishing people. This is fishing. This is hunting. It's a kill sport. This is has its roots. Fathers, grandfathers, uncles. What did they do? They kill fish, man. I grew up killing fish. I, I, I had uh, two parents that survived World War II. My dad survived. My mother survived concentration camp. My dad fought for his life every day against the Germans. He, you know, the fact that I'm alive is a miracle. 
And then when we went fishing as a boy, I didn't speak English. I spoke Polish and German. And, you know, you caught a fish. That's forel and that's strong. It was coming to dinner. And today we live in this pure world of we got, look at this one on my phone. Oh, I got that one. Let me show you this one. Oh, well, look at this one too. Oops. Oh, wait. Oh, here's another one. Here's another. That's good. That's actually a good thing because we're not killing a lot of fish because there ain't a lot of fish to be had anymore. I'm sorry. My fishing has declined 3,000% since I started guiding 32 years ago and it continues to decline. And that's because there's more people, there's more tactics, there's more, there's less water, water shrinking, climate change, you can get a million things, but it's still a kill sport. And, and what I think we have to do right now, because we're in a, we're in a spiral trajectory of, of doom down a black hole, unless we straighten out this path really quickly. And it takes two old, maybe it takes two old white dudes like us preaching it right now, but we got to start worshiping the fish more and start protecting the fish more. And, and, and today's woke world, you got to give them credit. If you do, if you hold the fish up too long or, or that fish's eyes are bulging out or something's weird. And we're going to talk about hero shots, you know, and that's the thing that, that started this whole thing. And how do you properly photograph a fish? But it's still a kill sport. We've taken it to another politically correct level. And, and where does it go to the point where you just get nauseated and don't want to fish anymore? And, and because it's, it's crazy. And, and I think you and I are more into it than most people are, but you know, it's starting to affect people. I fish Mondays through Fridays because I don't want to get away from the cross. Then you fish Mondays through Fridays and it's, it's a madhouse. And on the weekend, there's nobody fishing because they everybody wants to fish money. We have become so calculated. We look at weather three days ago. I could see if the weather is going to be four degrees more. I just heard 10, four boats come up river past me right now because today's 34, but tomorrow it's going to get 22. So we already have planned our week in advance because we looked at our, our weather forecast, our, our detailed InstaWeather, weather.com. I mean, there's so much going on. When do we just say it's fishing? It's a kill sport. Um, but that level is now saturated. We can't, we can't go back. We can only hopefully correct uh, where we're at and go to the level. And it all, it all becomes the stage of the fishermen. So we're going to get into hero shots. We're going to take a break here. Um, but it's the stage of the angler. Where are you and what do you want? Look at yourself in the mirror before you go fishing and say, what do I, what am I doing this for? What do I want out of this? If, I, if you want to go kill fish and catch fish to eat them, God bless you. And if it's legal, what you're doing, God bless you. Um, if, if you think that that stream could sustain you killing fish on that trout stream, probably a stock stream or, or there's so many wild fish that you probably, it's better to call the population and improve the year classes. But it doesn't seem, our clock is definitely in the doomsday spiral right now when it comes to wild trout. They are getting fewer and fewer and fewer. And they're fighting not only nature, which they've done so well adjusting their life survival strategies to for the last millions of years, but they're fighting the worst predator of them all, human beings. And we have the capacity to decimate things, to, to destroy things. Our track record is piss poor of what we've done in the environment. and Anything in life, it's just piss poor. So where do we go with all that? Uh, we're going to talk about guides. Um, and that's another whole separate can of worms, another article that you've just written and, and you shared with me a little bit. Uh, so there's a lot of stuff coming down the pipe. So you listeners out there, get some popcorn and have a beer and pour a nice glass of single malt or a nice glass of Cabernet and listen more because we are going to have a lot more issues coming and we're going to take a break right now, but we are with Kirk Dieter talking the things about 
all the political correctness and all the challenging things that we talk about today as a result of that damn YouTube and social media. We'll be right back. Stay tuned. Cable reels have been the pinnacle of reel technology for, for decades now. Since Steve Abel, aerospace engineer, started the company in California, their technology and their manufacturing, the drag systems, are simply impeccable. Um, they work to perfection, and everything they do is just a piece of art, including their art design on their reel systems. Uh, they're beautiful artists that they have in these series of all the different trout, salmon, steelhead, saltwater fish, uh, utilizing technology with beauty and incorporating designs by Derek DeYoung, Larco, Underwood, other people are simply the state of the art. What's so cool is when you take a picture of a fish, like I often do with Atlantic salmon and brown trout and hold my reels up against them, it's just beauty in the hand and beauty in the fish. Uh, and it just totally relates to the whole experience of why we fly fish and why we love what we're doing. Um, so please look at Able Reels next time you're looking at a large arbor reel and, and look at the difference and look at the quality, the workmanship. Another USA-made company that gives each reel a hand touch and their boutique-made reels, especially the paintings. If you opt for the designs, which can be pricey, but if you're looking for that special gift for someone or you're trying to treat yourself, Able Reels are the way to go. Contact Jeff Patterson and Able, and you will never be disappointed in an Able product. Most of you think of Orvis as a trout rod and a real company. Uh, I've known them for many decades, and I had my first Orvis rod, graphite rod, when I was a teenager, using up my hard-earned paper route money uh, to, to buy one. Um, they have been known so much for what they do in the trout world, and their stuff is outstanding, made in Vermont uh, for, for since the, the days fly fishing really started in this country. And um, but, but they've gotten serious with their spay uh, activity, and lately, um, uh, Combs uh, and the rod designers um, got together and say, we're going to be taken seriously in this market, and they came up with the Orvis Mission uh, two-handed series. Uh, I was blown away when I got my first Orvis two-hander, and I took it to uh, to Iceland, and I was just just overwhelmed by how well it competed with the other rods that I had with me, the Sages, the G. Lumises, the Berkheimers. Um, they put in some serious technology in these rods. Uh, the beauty of them, the handles, the the grips, the 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 whole the whole package is just simply amazing, and. Um, they are now a force to be reckoned with in the spay market, and you should definitely look at the Mission Series next time you're going to purchase the rods. They're, 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 they're very affordable, and they're beautiful, 
in the hand and they feel just as good as the top line spay rod you could possibly imagine. So visit Orvis, go to your Orvis dealer, to your fly shop that carries Orvis and ask for the Orvis mission. Give it a test run and look at it and you will be simply amazed how serious Orvis has come into this very competitive spay rod two-handed market. Welcome back. We are talking all the juicy issues of the new age of hype, politics, narcissism, woke, and becoming self-absorbed on a trout stream. When is enough is enough, and where do you fit in? And we are with our delightfully outspoken and wonderful guest, Kirk Dieter. And we are going to take a question and hop into another subject right now, which has been quite controversial. And uh, one subject that I gave uh, Kirk a whole bunch of crap back a couple summers ago when I was in the Catskills in my uh, in my hippie Woodstock. We we have a place up in the Catskills, not too far from Woodstock. So when I go up there for a month, I I wear tie dye shirts and listen to Grateful Dead and and do all kinds of crazy stuff and drink maybe too much really good uh, scotch and stuff like that. And one when, when you came out, I think with the hero shots, no more hero shots. You made a decree. There shall be no bread for you, for you peasants. We will drop it all and we're going to lay things out and we're going to tell you the moral code and the proper things to do. And we will be the, we will be your moral conscience in how you create these fish. And I was kind of living because, you know, I, I, you know, I did, was an editor of a magazine and I did things in hero shots and you, but you know, I've changed my tune. If you look at, things that I post and I, and I've always been about the fish in nature and the beauty of fish. And I post a lot of fish of pictures of fish in water and nature. And I love able reels and stuff because they had the beauty of the artwork on those things that I just try to combine nature and the art and beautifully. And I don't take hero shots anymore. And I, I, I don't like, I, if a client really wants one, I'd be happy to send it to him. And maybe because it's the level of the angler that I am at. And and not as far as uh, being better than anybody, because I'm probably the worst fisherman on the planet, and I'll admit it. But the fact that, you know, there's there's the old thing. First, you want to catch a fish. Then you want to catch a lot of fish. Then you want to catch the biggest fish. Then you want to catch a fish in the in the most interesting way, you know, dry fly or dry fly is the Atlantic salmon or blah, 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 or wake a fly on a surface for a steelhead. And then you get to a point where you you don't even know what you want to do. And I, I think I've arrived at that point, but there's one thing that keeps us coming back. It's the beauty of the fish and, and it's the beauty of nature. And, the, and it's all about the fish. And the more I do it, the more I keep searching for that. What, why the hell am I doing it? And do we need another mug of yourself to, to probably say, look at me, I'm Bravo. Look at me. Look at, look at how great of an angler was. And, and in the old days, what we did is we killed fish and brought them home on a stringer. And uncle Stanley came home. Look at me. I'm still the greatest angler. Uncle Stanley. I came to the VFW hall and the Polish Falcon club. And look at me. I got all these, you know, so we've now entered into, let's take a cool picture. Let's get staged for that picture. Make sure you've got the right Patagonia Sims gear. Make sure you got everything looking good. I don't want that jacket. I want this jacket. You're like Scavulo trying to dictate everything. And 
we've gotten a little crazy and, and, and one magazine in particular has gotten just bizarre over it. And it's just, that's all they do. And that's what life is all about. And wh- where does that go? And when you came out with that, um, you know, you were pretty, you guys did like a big statement and said, you know, Hey, we're not going to, we're not going to to- tolerate this anymore. Um, so I think we're going to go straight to this question from Kurt G from Columbus, Ohio. Um, I was, here's this question. I was shocked when TU said they were doing away with hero shots. Why would they want to be such party poopers um, and rain on an angler's joy? It's better than killing fish to show you caught something like my grandfather's days. Uh, But I agree there is a proper way of photographing and releasing. It is still fishing in a blood sport. I think TU is more interested in being tree huggers and PETA people. Where is the moderation, says Kurt G. from Columbus, Ohio. Go ahead. It's all yours, Mr. Kirk Dieter. Well, Kurt. Um, Kirk to Kurt. Kirk, so, Kurt to Kurt. <laughs> Captain Kirk. We'll call you Captain Kirk. That's good. That's good. So the, a couple things. First of all, there are, we need to understand that there are uh, a ton of factors that go into the survivability of a fish if you're going to take a photograph of it. How long did you fight the fish? You know, what kind of tippet did you I mean? If you use 7X tippet and fight a fish for a half an hour instead of 4X and land them in two minutes, you know, that's a big factor. Is the water warm? Are you are you fishing when the water's, you know, the, the fish are happiest? Hudow. We didn't talk about hudow. Just a quick interruption. You got to talk about add hudow in this whole thing. Hudow, yeah. So, like... Lots of factors that go into it. Not just, you know, I get nasty grams when when we shoot. To be honest with you, we've refined that. I've refined that. My position is a fish out of water, if it's dripping, if it's clear. You know, I've talked to the people from Keep Fish Wet, Sasha and Andy. And, and, you know, if you take a fish and you fight the fish quickly, land the fish quickly, wet your hands, boom, pop the shot, off it goes. Um, that's going to be have a much better outcome than fumbling around and doing blah, 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 and all that stuff. So that's one thing. I don't do the grip and grin personally because I think it's a boring shot. I mean, how many millions literally shots of people holding a fish do you need? Uh, it's so much more interesting for me as editor to, like, look for a cool – underwater angle or a people shot or an action shot or a landscape or a portrait or whatever. Um, Plus you have to pay the person $800 too. So, you know, that's that's okay. So I don't know. I just, I just, it's just never been my flavor. It's not my jam. I, I, so, but to say, (laughs) you swear it off to his question. I I haven't sworn it off. You know, like I, I, I accept, like I said, that it's, um, you know, fly fishing is for everybody. Fly fishing, gear fishing. There's room for everybody. There's room for people who want to take photos of fish if you do it the right way. You know, like if you're going to take, try to catch 50 fish and take a photo of every darn fish, you know, you're having an impact that is, you know, it's not all about you. It shouldn't all be always be about you. You know, we're sharing this. It's about, you know, if I catch a fish and the whole thought of catch and release going back to Lee Wolf and others is 
you know, a, a sport fish is too valuable to be caught only once. So you want to share that with somebody else. But if catching release, Lee Wolf did a lot. Of, excuse me, Lee Wolf did a lot of hero shots. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and he and killed so, a lot of fish, by the way. He was oh, not. Yeah. He was not. Um, I was saying John the Baptist, the anointed one. He, no, he absolutely. So we absolutely. got to put that into perspective that these guys that we now make today as these iconic legends that walk on water with their with no sandals and they're they're pure and wholesome and 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 fly fishing magazines you know make these these godly images of these people there's a lot you know they 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 take shits and they put their pants on the same way we do and and we've done that and so where you know how do we how do we synthesize we have sinned father we have sinned how do we correct this look 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 if you don't want to hurt fish don't fish Right. That's a non-starter for me. I like pulling fish around by their faces. It's fun. I like it. I like watching them eat. I like, you know, fighting them. And, but because I want, you know, it's a, it's a fine line. It's, it's really, a, it's a hard area to be holier than thou on in, in, in either side of the debate or either side of the argument. Like for someone who's a, Died in the wool, catch and release angler, you know, to think that they're um, somehow, you know, some savior for the environment because they go and beat the shit out of 50 fish a day um, <laughs> instead of, you know, keeping two fish a day. That's that's just a difficult thing to really understand. We should talk frankly about these things. So that's where I net out on that. So, you know, no, I'm not a PETA person. I've, I've actually fought. You know, had the debates with the PETA people who called fish sea kittens when I was working with Field and Stream and others. And, you know, I think that anglers as a whole do so much more for habit. I mean, those rivers wouldn't be nearly as clean as they are. Again, the glass half full. What good has happened? Rivers that are clean now that weren't clean before. Water that's good now. Fish populations that have rebounded. Dams that have come out. Those things are because people fish, you know, and hunt. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. And 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 the, the sporting world has has been hauling the mail for the conservation world for years. So anybody from the conservation world, uh, or you know, it's it's one and the same. It's not different. It's like you can't say, "Are you fishing or conservation?" It's both. It's inextricably connected all the time. So you know, someone who's is a bona fide tree hugger who you know yells at people for catching fish and i was reading a story about that the other day you know that person doesn't even begin to comprehend the value of what anglers have done for the environment like a tenfold a thousandfold more than they even begin to know and yet the person who's an angler who you know thinks that they're catching release practices and whatnot is zero uh they leave in no footprints or no fingerprints on the environment that's that's a that's a misconception as well so you know our job as editors and and truth sayers is to try to make that picture less fuzzy and have people kind of um come to a realistic consensus and come to the middle and be uh cooperative and again search for the bigger bigger solutions than little tiny things like, oh, you took a picture of a fish out of water or, you know, you used a net spinner or that kind of stuff. Yeah. Yeah. You know, so it is, so it is all stage. So, you know, when you, 
you know, you, I've dealt with editors at magazines and I've been them and I've done them and I've, I haven't been an editor of a magazine, but I've been departmental editors and I've done this and I've done that and I've done this. And, and, and you're always looking, you know, you put an article together, then we got to, every, everybody's reading these articles and say, oh, that's really cool. Or, or they say, oh, that's staged. Come on. Does everybody, when you, when you start an article off and you put a picture of a guy hunched over, looking really serious with that fly rod, like really serious, it's all stage crap. Come on, photographers are your 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 model shooters. You pout for me, pout a little more, pout. Give me a little expression. People are seeing through all that junk. They're like, "What the heck?" I mean, this is this is Hollywood. I mean, so you know, where where do we go with all this fakery? This and and you know what's happening is the person that picks up a fly rod twice a year, their wife's buy them a subscription to a magazine. They look at it when they're sitting on the throne, the big white porcelain throne. Oh, this is cool. Maybe I'm going to go put this fly on and go do that. That's the stage of an angler. There, there are those people that, that then there's the people, crazed people like me and you and other fanatical people that have gone to such a crazy level that we get to a point where we're just satiated and fed up with a lot of junk. And that's one of the reasons I started hollowed waters is to be about the passion in the fish and not about the crap. I will never do a cover hero shot on it. We don't need to create cele- celebrities are in nature. We need to start paying attention more to nature and more the beauty because it's dwindling. There's not going to be a trout swimming in 10, 15 years if we don't get our shit together. I'm, I mean, serious, whether it's wild or stocked, or I don't care if it's a Palomino or a brown trout or something we love, we better start paying attention and get out of the fakery. And there's a lot of people out there. That, you know, and what's a good barometer? I always go back to the fact that I'm still a guide and I guide, you know, hundreds of thousands of people. And I always ask them questions. That's my barometer. That's my benchmark. And a lot of times when I did those, you know, poster articles came out and I was really proud of them. Who's proud? Who's proud about heroics? They are the heroes. They're the real ones that always say, look at me. Look what I did. You know, nobody gives a shit. I mean, really, no one cares. You you know, and I, I got really shocked when... I would ask customers, did you see my article I wrote? And I took that picture of that, you know, girl on the cover and this and that and that. And they'd be like, I don't even get that magazine. I don't even read that stuff anymore. I, I quit because I can't take the, the commercialism, the advertisement, the junk, the, the paparazzi. It's getting out of control. So, you know, who are we appealing to? Who do we think we're appealing to? And I think the model that us old white dudes that are concerned with money, you, you know, you said something because they sell. Well, who are they selling to? And I think they're selling to a less and less of an audience because we ran through the river ran through it and dried up. And then it's running through it again with COVID after COVID, and that's going to dry up again. And then now you you know, so you got an angler that's there's a beginning anglers, yes. But the world is so cynical and transparent today that they see through everything. And I think the big hope, and I think a lot of really good fly fishermen that are passionate about what they do. They don't pay attention as junk. They don't care if their picture gets on the cover. They don't care if they're in a magazine. They don't care if uh, getting an award for something. They could care less. They're about their passion, the journey, where they're at, the beauty of the fish, creating something, reading books. We don't read books anymore. We don't seek knowledge. You just go on Instagram or you go on your phone or YouTube everybody's a freaking star on YouTube, man. It's crazy. I, I, I go to YouTube to listen to Neuron Pure's uh, chill music every Monday morning. And that's about, you know, where do you go with all this stuff? And I think that this transparency, this cynicism, 
is going to have so much validity. And the, and I, the hope lies in the millennials, in the newer generations, the younger teens, the, the people that have not been corrupted by the money and the old white dude politics. Those are the people like my son. He's 24, 25, living in Washington, D.C., just got a master's degree. He's a smart kid. He's getting into fly fishing. He's reading old stuff. He wants authenticity. He want he wants the real deal. He doesn't care about you know the hype and got to have this, got to have that, got to have this. Um, I have hope that millennials are savior. In my opinion, it's 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 us old white guys that messed it up. We think we're making money. We've created a model. This is what's going to sell. This is what sells. I'm not going to publish that anymore because that doesn't sell. Stories don't sell. Being nostalgic and passionate about something don't sell. I've heard this from all these editors. Oh, you got to just give me a fly, three hot steps on how to get bigger, better, faster, more now, and that's all it's going to sell. People are stupid. They're, they just need they need to be treated stupidly, uh, and they need to be stupid's a bad word. Sorry, um, I know it's not correct, but they assume that everybody's dumb, and they're not. People are so sophisticated today; they see through all this. And the millennials are about the authenticity. They want the passion. They want the journey. And I think that's our big hope that's going to take us to that next level because they love nature and they spend more time hiking and, and trail biking, biking and, and they're out there doing things where us, us old dudes sit around and just figure out what's going to sell. Uh, what we think are going to sell is not going to sell because people have seen through the bullshit and they don't want any more bullshit. And that's why we're failing. We haven't changed our model. Our model hasn't changed for 20 years. We're still stuck in that rut. So where, where are we going with fly fishing today? Is it, is it an action sport now? Is it just, or a craft or a passion or an art? Is it measured in you know, numbers and metrics? Or is a trout bum's lifestyle of telling a story, sitting by a fireplace, bourbon tastes better out of a tin cup? Um, here I'm preaching. Uh, I know I'm preaching, but I know that, some people are listening and saying, hey, man, I want more authenticity. Let's let's cut the crap. Let's start figuring out what we could do because the heroes today should really be the people that are saving trout streams and salmon rivers and steelhead rivers and, and out there doing things and making a difference and screaming at a power company. You know, like I have a problem with consumers power on my river, you know, because I want to have fish to be around to the door and the way things are going it's not happening. Um, what's your whole take on the younger generations? Um, you know, how could we engage them more? How could we say, hey, I'm sorry for making the sport so commercialized and bullshit driven? Where can we get them more involved, Kirk? I have immense respect for and great hope for uh, millennials, Gen Z, you know, every, you know the, the younger generations have a genuine concern for the planet first of all uh genuine passion for adventure and and the the story for them is not always we you know some of the people complain about you know the instagram photos and the younger folks holding fish and but you know that's not really what they're about in my experience uh, they're more about the adventure and the process and you know it's the older guys who are uh who made the fish photos and the grip and grins kind of the norm and uh you know that's the bed they made and now they're they're lying in it so 
Um, but I think there's some incredible talent. I think there's more talent. Uh, there's there are great writers. It's like you know music, right? You, there might never be a Bob Dylan again, but there's a lot of really good songwriters out there. There are a lot of we have open mic night in terms of media. Anyone wants to publish something or put something on their own YouTube channel or, you know, make a website or self-publish or whatever. But I think that the, and that's ultimately a good thing because what it forces people to do, if you want to be top of the game, if you want to, it's a long way to the top if you want to rock and roll, right? <laughs> yeah. So, and that's still the fact. If you, if you, so if you want to rock and roll, you want to go do it big time. You want to make money doing it. Uh, you need to be trans. There's no money in fly fishing. So anybody out there wanting to make money, forget it. You're going to die a pauper <laughs> and your ashes are going to be thrown in a river and you're going to be happy. That's it. Let's, let's clear that up right away. Well, that's that. That's, <laughs> there's that. But, but you can be wealthy in other ways in terms of your experience and the people you know and the places that you've seen and the, uh, the satisfaction that you have and the quality of your own work and that kind of stuff. You know, I think it's worth chasing. And the answer is to be transcendent, to be better than the mass. Okay. There's a lot of average out there. There's more average than there ever has been. There's not as much outstanding. And so if you're truly outstanding in what you do, you're going to stand apart and you're going to do fine. And I, th- I think there are, there are, Hell, you know, you said people don't read and, and books, you know, books are dead. I disagree with you, my friend. I think your well, book, I, I know. I, I, I think I, your book is, was awesome. I read your book every time I go on a long flight and I want to get in touch with brown trout or Atlantic salmon. I read your book, which is on my, my handheld. Well, thank you very much. No, I, 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 I'm retorting that. I'm not really saying people don't read. I'd say the majority of people just flock to Instagram, social media, that's right. YouTube. That's where they get their information, but people are reading and books are still very much alive. There's no question about that. And so, I, yeah, was, I was taught to think that people don't read anymore. So if you talk to Tom Rosenbauer, he says, I, they don't even carry my book in the Orvis store. Because people don't read anymore. They don't even want to read anymore. There's not enough shelf space. They'll put 10,000 dog beds on a shelf, but they're not going to put his books on the shelf. Because, you know, so we've, we've been in that old white dude thought that this is, if it's money, this is what sells, this doesn't sell, this doesn't sell. But, you know, those 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 things are breaking. So go ahead. But I just, books do sell and books will be around. And people, well, you know and I read them all the time. You know what else is cool? You know, one, way, talk about generations and, uh, Bridging generations. One one thing that never goes out of style is knowledge, right? Amen. The way the way a sixty year old man and a thirty year old guy, or a sixty year old woman and a twenty eight year old young man who's learning to fish, they can find common ground because they're both interested in knowledge and in, in what how to do things and and so forth. Uh, What's been sad is the dumbing down of the sport. So that there are some rigs that are deadly effective that people fish now that you don't have to think. I mean, you don't have to think to, you know, you just have to watch and, you know, that's taken the think out of it. I think that's been as as damaging as almost anything, but at the the common grounds where people want to share knowledge, Older people are cool to the younger people if the older people can teach them how to fish and, and stuff like that, you know? 
it's not necessarily an us versus them. It's 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 common ground. It's not a, a separation. It's a it's a confluence. And so that's again, I'm a glass half full guy. And you know the other thing. I share your concern. There's no question about it. But, you know, anglers have learned over the years and they've adapted. And there's no reason we can't learn and adapt again. And I think now emphasizing the experience and emphasizing the connections and emphasizing, you know, who you're with and what you're doing and why you're there, as opposed to how many you caught and how many pictures you can take yourself is it's a, it's a low hurdle to climb, but it's an important one that we do. Okay, so let's get quickly to, we got a lot of issues to do. How do you take a picture of a fish? Okay, now I'm going to start off by saying I've seen horrors. Guiding for 32 years, catching 10,000 steelhead, 10,000 million trout, uh, salmon. um, I've seen horrors. I've seen people holding fish up and dropping them in the boat, in the drift boat, in the jet sled, smacking their heads against rocks. Um, you know, uh, let's take a picture of this. Okay, you ready, Jim? Uh, Jim, I gotta turn my phone on. Okay, hold on, hold on. Oh, okay. Oh, no, no. Okay, okay. And you mean they're holding the fish in the air? Okay. So, if you're gonna take, and I've written ten thousand articles about how you take fish. A photographer must be totally ready to shoot. You got a three second rule. Three second. You hold them up, snap, put them back in. Lift, snap, put them in. Revive. Go. A three-second process, no more than three seconds in the air. And, you know, keep the fish wet. If you can, take a picture. I'm, all my pictures that I'm taking today is all fish in the water, totally mm-hmm. submersed. If you if you have the right cameras, even an iPhone will work, a Nikon, whatever you're shooting, Canon, whatever you're doing, you could get a really good shot of fish in the water. Fish is happy. You're admiring nature as long as you clear the glare out so the glare doesn't come in. Uh, you have a good filter. iPhones, the new iPhone 5. The new, the new iPhone, excuse me, uh, the new iPhone 14 today has got the best camera on the planet. You really don't. I mean, I got 10,000 Nikons and filters here and stuff, and, I, and it's scary that that iPhone's making. So you could take tremendously professional, high, high megabyte images with your iPhone. Three-second rule, be prepared for the photo. Everybody has to be prepared. And that's where the, the harm comes in. We don't prepare. We shoot. Oh, we drop them. Oh, the fish is slippery. I've, you know, I've used tailing gloves. I mean, gloves in the past, you know, sometimes it's when you're in a boat, a very fine silk nylon, well lubricated, wet glove sometimes helps from smashing a fish on the bottom of the boat. You drop a fish on its head in an aluminum boat because oops, I couldn't hold on to his tail. He slipped. Average Joe that holds a fish once every couple of years doesn't know what they're doing. And then you're all, oh, okay, let's try it again, Mr. So-and-so or Mrs. So-and-so. Uh, you know, there's so many horrors of fish taking pictures. Or we're holding fish because I just didn't get the right picture. So if you want it, prep it, look at it. This is how I'm going to take it. This is where I'm going to release it. This is how I'm going to let it go. This is how it's going to happen. It's going to be a three-second rule. And if it doesn't work, Hell with it. Let's the fish is more important. We'll get another one. Don't worry about that, Charlie. Don't worry about that, Billy. Don't worry. We'll get another one and take a picture of. So, you know, there is and if holding a fish out of water does no damage to the fish. You know, I I fish with a biologist. He is a research biologist for the Michigan DNR. And he laughs at me and he laughs at five fishermen how much we coddle over fish. He goes, You could put that damn fish on the bank for 20 minutes and it'll still be fine and put him back in the water. He'll swim. We don't give the fish enough credit 
for how resilient they are to our stupid uh, infiltrations, intrusions into their world with our stupid little flies, okay? They're pretty hardy souls. I've literally went up to guys and told them to take fish off stringers that were gilled through the bottom of the lip, and they were sitting there for two hours, and the fish swam away, and they seemed to be doing fine, and I caught the fish a week after. Um, so we, we, we've taken it to level, but if you do want to do it, make sure you prep it. Make sure you look at where you're going to drop the fish. Are you going to drop it in muck and sand and mud? Um, then have a way. Um, are tailing gloves good? No, they're 99% of the tailing gloves out there are terrible. They're leathery fish filleting gloves. They're not bad. Use your bare hands when you can, um, moisten things, but you got to know how to grip them. Don't grip them. Like you're afraid of them. Grip them. Like you mean it because that fish is going to get more shit in his gills. If you drop them in mud, silt in a spring Creek, Spring creeks are terrible because you hold them up a bed, a, above a bed of LD and watercress. The moment you let them go, they dive right into that watercress. And sometimes they never make it out. And you come back a week later and the fish is stuck head deep into the watercress. Um, it's a plan. So if you are going to have children, make sure you're going to take care of them and teach them well. If you are going to take pictures of fish, it is your responsibility as an angler to make sure you have a plan from A to Z on how you're going to take that picture, where it's going to be released. What's the water temperature? Is it proper to hold them up in the air? These are all the, the Bible of how to take pictures. And, and I'm, I'm very adamant about it because I hear every side of the coin. And, and sometimes we live in a fantasy world of we think we're doing the right thing. Oh, I read somewhere that you shouldn't do that. Read somewhere. Why don't you get your ass in a stream and do it? Okay. Number one, don't read somewhere. And then be and, and look at the reality. If it's 90 degrees out in the water, 70 degrees, you don't want to be taking pictures of fish out of the water, okay? Put, put the science with the fish and then common sense. One thing we lack due to all the modern technology today is common sense. We don't have any. It's a non-existent, fleeting, ethereal thought. Um, enough on that. Sorry for the preach, guys, but we're going to have these little preachy moments. Um, let's talk about a guy. And you wrote, you're writing a piece about guides right now. Yeah, um, it just came out this week. And river keepers and gillies. And um, let's talk about that. So what guides, what are they? I've been one for 32 years. What the hell? Who am I? Me? What do I do? In the past, guides were Native Americans that knew a fishing hole and wanted lunch. Okay. Yeah. Indians that knew a fishing Guides were poachers that knew where the fish were. And they were going to put rich people that are going to pay them money on fish. Um, in the old days, you know, in, in Frank Sawyer's days, a river keeper, a gilly, and we're going to talk about river keepers because I think that's really important. We need to go back to river keepers and people that are sole responsible guardians of rivers. But, you know, look at those guys. They, they lived in huts. Today, guides, Instagram, cool looking dudes, dudettes, they got a lot of facial hair. They got Bono glasses. They're cool, man. Look at me. I'm cool. I got to drive a cool truck. Look at my gear. Look at my, look at my clothes. Um, is, is that our value of guides today? Or is it someone that's totally passionate about the fish? I still, I will stop guiding when I don't get excited what I'm doing. And I still myself, and I know the really good guides out there get more excited than the client do when they get people on fish because you're working extra hard because you can't do it. You can't put your hands on those reels and rocks. You have to fish through other people. So what are guides today? Are they teachers? Are they just people looking at money? Is it just a job? You could tell those people that it's just a job. Are, are, are these senseis? Um, you know, we need better guide regulations. We need more 
maybe we need, everybody has to be certified in some way to become a guide because we have to be a psychologist. We have to be a, a cheerleader. We have to be, you know, I talked to Dak Hogan in my last podcast and, you know, he says, man, you got to be that cheerleader, especially with steelhead and salmon. You're going for one tug a day, man. If you get that tug and you have fish, you're elated. How do you keep these people focused for eight or 10 or 12, or whatever hours? So, you know, where are we in the guide world? And, you know, every year there's, 10,000 more and they're just keep coming. They just keep coming. They keep coming because it's a quick buck and, and there's money to be had. There's more people getting into sport. Give us your whole take on that. Where are we going? Where do we need to be? Uh, maybe we need to be creating more Frank Sawyers that were guides that sincerely looked at nature, the, 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 the keeper, the river keeper, diaries of a river keeper. Um, you know, maybe we need more of those. What's your thoughts, Kirk? Well, I would say that guy, well, first of all, Guides, I've always been fascinated with guides. My first book that I ever wrote was called Cast Work, and it was about guides. And it was taking me to meet guides and fish with them and profile them and did that with Andy Steckety. And, and uh, it was a great education. And, uh, you know, so I have immense respect for guides. I've also been a guide myself, and I find great uh, pleasure in fishing vicariously through other people as long as they appreciate the experience themselves. So that's the, that's the number one thing, but I would summarize it this way. I would say to, in today's day and age, a great guide who's a teacher and a thoughtful steward of the environment and someone who can develop an angler and get them on a path of do it yourself and you know, like really spark interest and engagement is worth their weight in gold. Those guides are our best ambassadors, our best gatekeepers, and our best hope, frankly. Conversely, a guide who's a profiteer, who's just running Disneyland rides for people and pulling on as many fish, and it's just about getting them in the net and taking photos, is probably one of the worst things for fly fishing these days so there's the the best of times and the worst of times it's it's the guides are the best souls and the worst souls and and it's up to guides to decide where they fall on that continuum um my hope is that more guides will embrace the the ideal that guiding was i think different 30 years ago where people had to know how to fish to be able to pull on fish you know um no, they don't. So, uh, you know, where do you stand on all that? I think I think that the, I owe my career, my fishing passion to guides. I, I and they put put that in me, and and I, you know, I try to to pay that forward myself. But I, I really, really resent the ones who just show up and do the production and pound as many fish as they can and. They don't. They do. That don't do justice to the craft. They don't do justice to the sport, and they don't do justice to themselves. So, that's my hot take on that. Yeah. Um, you know, let's. I talk about this riverkeeper stuff, and I just wrote an article, and I'll talk a little bit about that about chasing marineros big spring. How wild trout utopias are in a state of limbo, and we're living with a tolerable reality. But you know, riverkeeper ideas. Uh, I'm going to get to that in a little while, but micromanaging rivers is separate separate ecosystems and i think 
if we're going to go to the next level, uh, our, our fish and game departments are government agencies that manage what they have with what little they have, especially our Michigan DNR. They, they got a state as big as this, as the, the, you know, Texas and California and Florida combined with fresh water and, um, 10,000 rivers and streams. And you know, Michigan, you have your place up here in Baldwin and uh, on the Baldwin River and, and you know, the Pierre Marquette. You, they they manage retroactively. They manage what, what they have. They have one biologist for, fifth, for four counties, five counties, six. I mean, it's insane what they little most game managers, uh, fish and game departments have to manage things. They could only retroactively manage once something is broken. You know, they take sur- surveys of stream every 5, 10, 15. Some of these streams that my biologist uh, Tonello has taken, he had these, those streams haven't been inventoried in 30 years, 25 years. And um, there's so much out there. But how do we do that? We have to start micromanaging rivers as separate ecosystems. In my opinion, we got to look at every one and everyone has individual needs. I talked about that with Steelhead in the West Coast with Deck Hogan. You can't just manage them in a one size fits all. One type fits all. Type one fits all these rivers. Type two fits all these rivers. You got to look at each one individually. And the only time they're going to get that care is from river keepers and a river keeper. And maybe we need to do the American river keepers dream what they did on the Hudson. Every river, you pay a guy, you get funding from endowments, from uh, maybe TU, maybe other organizations, and get a guy that is responsible 24-7 to monitor that stream. He lives in a ghillie's hut, a van down by the river, like Chris Farley said. And uh, that's the fly, fly, fly fishing guides are our modern river keepers today because they make their bed. They don't want to shit in their bed where they're at on their streams. They watch their streams like, like clockwork. And that's maybe we need to empower more river guides to become river keepers and, and fund them and pay them a little bit so they could justify that to their girlfriends and their wives and their, or their husbands and their significant others or whatever, their partners. I don't care. The bottom line is we don't do that. We, we, we manage the natural resources like a one size fits all. This is what's good. We'll check up on it in five years. Meanwhile, we come back and find out there's no trout there in five years or no salmon there or no steelhead there. So I think we need to be going there. Agencies can only do so much. And um, quickly, we're going to take another break here. But, you know, I'm talking about trout streams here, but I'm going to talk about salmon and steelhead fly fishing anglers. I think they come in a different breed. Uh, They're not as crazed. Yeah, there's steelhead alley and they catch a lot of steelhead there and they get numbers. But salmon and steelhead anglers as alone are usually the higher echelon of trout anglers. They go up a notch. And I, I have the highest respect for anglers that could be tr- cr- incredible trout bums and then could throw a spay fly and then could go and fish for salmon and the, know the whole program. But we, salmon steelhead anglers, I being one of them, uh, I being an author of one of those, um, know that when you're going to be spay fishing the river, you might get one tug in a couple of days. So you're not totally occupied by putting another fish on the clicker counter in, in another you know, Rocky Mountain stream. You're not obsessed by that. You're obsessed by just getting your fly to swim properly. Is my cast looking better? How do I feel about my cast? And, and spay guys just go out there and just love casting and improving your casting and getting your stroke and getting in the rhythm. And if you get a tug and if you catch a fish, that's a huge bonus. So I didn't include salmon and steelhead anglers and, and spay anglers in this one because it's it's the trout crazed anglers. It's the one that follow the hatchery trucks or follow where there's a shit ton of fish and go at those like nonstop. But um, 
there are different levels and it all depends on what level you want to be at and where your where is your journey going. If you want just a little bit out of it, then just take a little bit out of it, but be, be respectful. Uh, there's the takers and there's the givers. Today, we are 100% focused on takers. It all comes into social media, Instagram, bigger, better, faster, more now. How many did you catch? How many did you catch? Eventually, I had to talk my mother into saying, mom, I let him go now. I'm 16. I, I do not kill fish anymore. If you want one fish to eat, there's a beautiful supermarket down the road, and they're delicious, and they're farm-raised, and they're sustainable. But you, you got to come to reality some days. And that's a whole separate topic. But we are now going to take another break. And then we're going to come back and talk about nativism and all the other interesting, juicy topics. So we are talking all things that most people don't talk about here with Kirk Dieter on the Hollowed Waters podcast. And we will be right back. And lines have been around since Cro-Magnum Man and Neanderthal Man, and that's what they caught to catch fish. And today, your hooks and your lines and your tippet material and your leaders are so important. And it's the ultimate challenge in what happens with you on, on a trout stream or a salmon and steelhead river. Um, hooks and lines are by far the most important things when it comes down to your choice of quality. And quality is probably the number one thing on the mind of English Sport Group from New York. Um, Maxima Leader Material and Leaders and Daiichi Hooks are their specialties. And I've been a big fan of Maxima as so many fly swingers and spay fishermen for such a long period of time. Their chameleon match up to the toughest conditions, the abrasion. They're, they're stiff enough to turn over large flies. The ultra green and clear are, are just perfectly blend into a lot of the blue green aqua looking waters of certain salmon rivers that usually have two different types of connotations, a tannic or a very, very bright, clear scenario. Um, Maxima is the ultimate test pound for, for heavy, big flies on the swing. Uh, when that fish takes your fly, you're going to be very protected with Maxima. Daiichi hooks, there's not enough good things I could say about them. Um, in the trout series, the specialty hooks that they have, um, down to their big Alec Jackson spay and their different type of spay hooks that they carry. Um, I would always shop for the best, shop for Daiichi and Maxima, and you will never go wrong. Hello, listeners. If you love the content that you're hearing on the Hollowed Water podcast series, Migratory Spay, um, you will love the, the books that were written by the guests that have been on this podcast series, especially from Topher Brown and myself, who did the inaugural four-hour series. 
We talked a lot about Atlantic Salmon, and uh, if you're addicted to Atlantic Salmon, um, Topher wrote his book called Atlantic Salmon Magic, which was printed by Wild uh, Wild River Press, and my book, Brown Trout Atlantic Salmon Nexus, uh, by Skyhorse Publications. Uh, really take you to the next step if you like what you listen to if you like all the content that we've been talking about in these podcasts the next step is to go and read and, and get di- to dive deeper into into what's behind the magic and the journey for these amazing fish so we encourage you to go to amazon go to your local fly shop or to your bookseller um, and request these books which will make you see a lot more things that you've missed along the way and uh, dive further into the passion for Atlantic Salmon. Hello, listeners. This is Caleb, editor and producer of the Hallowed Waters Journal podcast. This episode and all of season three of the Hallowed Waters Journal podcast features music by Dutch EDM artist Arpo. You can find them on Instagram at Arpo Music and find their music on all major streaming platforms. Our thanks to Arpo for the use of their song Floating and for their support of the Hallowed Waters Journal. We are back talking about all the juicy issues that um, fly fishing for trout bring out um, with us two old white guys, Kirk and Maddie. And uh, we were just talking about something that uh, I'm just going to go right back to Kirk, what he said about what is making trout fishing so unique and how we're so obsessed by numbers and size and bigger, better, faster, more now. And I talked about salmon and steelhead anglers just before we took a break that they're so much more respectful. They seem to be so more focused because they don't get numbers of fish. You're a West Coast stealer. You get one fish a season, you're lucky. One fish a week. Um, so we're more into the zen of the fishing, the zen of the casting. And Kirk just mentioned something before we took a break. And Kirk, let's talk about that, this action sport thing. Go for it. Sure. I mean, you triggered my thought and that what's what's – kind of transpired in trout fishing, trout fly fishing in the last few decades is it's, it's kind of gotten its niche outside of the outdoor realm. In other words, people don't show up in Oregon and decide, Hey, let's go out and whack a steelhead on our family vacation. They know that that's a harder, more dedicated group that that's a tougher pursuit. They don't say, you know, show up at the Horicon Marsh in Wisconsin and say, hey, let's go out as a family and whack some ducks. You know, this is just on the spur of the moment or let's go on uh, an elk hunt. You know, those are things that are planned for, that are cultivated, that you've developed skills to do over the years and years and years. But they, they family of four shows up in Aspen or Vail and they say, well, two days ago we went horseback riding and yesterday we went. Uh, whitewater rafting tomorrow we're golfing and the day after we're going to go fly fishing and 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 on the one hand that's great and that it's accessible and it's something people can experience but on the other it's made it kind of just a you know a, a vendor a vendor offering and that i think is where the frustration comes in with people who do find fly fishing 
sacred and something that they want to in, embrace and and have it be something that they connect with water and nature. And then, you, you know, you see the bobber flotilla of the boats that are going by on, on commercial junkets. And um, that's something that we just need to reckon with, I guess. Yeah, I think uh, let's let's be a little more humble and appreciative of one fish. And we talk numbers all the time, but let's start with one fish. You know, so I always, being a guide, you get the questions. How many are we going to catch this day? What do you think is the average? Well, give me an average day. Average day is we could get struck by lightning. Uh, the world can end. Putin could throw a goddamn nuclear bomb and things go crazy right away. That's an average day. That That's an average day in today's society, okay? The Holy Grail, looking for utopia and all that stuff is gone, baby, because there is no more average days, okay? Weather, what's the weather going to be like in April? It could be 90 degrees or it could be 10 below zero. What's the weather like in January? I just went through two weeks of 40 degrees in January. We haven't had any snow on the ground since the three worst snowstorms we've had before Thanksgiving or Christmas. We've never had that before. So let's start with, let's let's be real. And you could tell, I could tell clients on the phone right away, you know, I could say, oh, no, yeah, this ain't going to be for you. You need to go out and play something where you could kill, beat something or win a prize or, you know, something that's going to make you happy. Because that's yeah. the monsters we have created on TV and we've created social media. You got to win a prize. You got to you got to be a hero. You got to be badass. What's badass? OK, let's go. Man, that's badass. What's badass? I mean, come on, let's let's get real people. But let's go to the, you know, a comment I want to get into. Um you made about, you know, you you were at a, uh, I think after whatever board you're on, I think you said something, we're going to do everything possible but a fly rod in people's hands. Have we done a really good job of doing that to the point right now where there's so many people on the trout streams um, that it's just mayhem? You you talked about that with me the other yeah, day when we were chatting. Yeah, so I'm not on the after board, the American Fly Fishing Trade Association, but I am the editor of Angling Trade Magazine and have been for the last uh, 15 plus years, which is the magazine that covers the business of fly fishing. So that's the, that's the commerce side that we're talking about. And that's, um, I was in the room though, when it happened in the quoting from Hamilton, like the, where we all sat around and we're worried about the decline in numbers and sport and how do we keep sustain the business and, you know, dumb it down and get as many people and as many people holding a fly rod as possible. And now I think we're paying the price of that with having not attached some strings to that pun intended that makes it so that people need to engage for more than the participation trophy. (laughs) We got into handing out participation trophies Uh, and the fish, the poor fish became the participation trophies. And, and, I think that there's now a movement afoot to say, well, gee, um, it's okay to have to work for your fish again. And I think that's where things are going to start trending. Uh, at least that's where I hope they go. Working for your fish, paying your dues, um, all that great stuff that supposedly doesn't exist anymore because we have YouTube and we have social media that hopefully will come back. And what's kind of ironic is you, you, like you said, when you attended that meeting, you put, you you put they want to put a fly rod in everybody's hand, but now it came time where we had another river runs through it through COVID, and the fly rod is ready to be put in the hand, but there are no fly rods because COVID and the whole Oriental uh, production brigade uh, in the in the job market, you know you have to wait for boots, you have to wait for a fly rod, you have to wait for a car, you have to wait for this, 
Isn't that ironic how we got to a point where we're ready to put those rods in everybody's hands, but they none, huh? Isn't that kind of yeah, funny yeah. the way things work, huh? But anyways, yeah. um, so let's talk a little bit about, um, you know, I, I look at that whole thing as like we built these high-tech cars, Lamborghinis, Ferraris, new stick by by G. Loomis, new stick by Sage, new stick by Orvis, new stick by this, new stick by Winston. This is the better. This is one better. Fly time material is out of control. Fish haven't changed. And even old flies still work, but, you know, we can't fish them anymore because we need the latest material, the latest old. Isn't that cool? We're in this constant ADHD fascination of you got to have bigger, better, faster, better, better, better. This is looks realistic. But then the shittiest fly you got in your box, the one that's raddest out is materials are falling off it. The trout want it. It's like the trout are constantly rebelling with our advancement. They're constantly fooling us and getting better at our at our at our at our fluorocarbon or tippets or what color you know monofilm we're doing. So it's ironic in that 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 nature still holds this constant of evolving with as crazy as we're evolving in a crazy direction. They seem to manage their own. Um, do we do we tend to promote destinations too much? Have we have we gone a little crazy? And it's still there. Because editors go on fancy trips, they get their things paid for. Here I am, I'm an editor of so and so, and I'm going to get, I'm going to make you guys famous. You're going to get so much stinking rich from all the business I'm going to send you. Have we done too much of that? Uh, what about? And I, the reason I started Hollow Waters is to, to protect. Let's talk about the, the the trout that lives in this county park down the road, underneath that bridge. Do we do we make those hollowed waters, or every hollow water has to be this? destination, whether it's New Zealand, Iceland, Tierra del Fuego, Patagonia, Chile. If I, if, you know, everybody I know right now is in Chile. Everybody I know right now is in Patagonia. Everybody, yeah, it's great to travel, but sometimes we forget about what's in our backyard and what's what we have. And do we really pay enough attention? And where does, you know, where's Trout Unlimited going with this whole thing? And, and do they, are they devoting enough things to our backyard? And I think they are, but I think we all need to dial ourselves in and and just take for let's appreciate that little park, that little stream that's flowing in our little county park down the road. Because there's people in inner city that don't even have the ability to even think of of water that's not with floating with with shit and syringes and needles and bottles in it. I mean, let's look at the little things in our, in our world of fishing and and appreciate them a little more. And and what's your take on that, Kirk? Well, I'll open another Pandora's box now by saying this, but, um, you know, climate change is an issue, right? We Huge. all know it. We've seen it. So what are we really doing other than talking about it? Like, what do you as an angler, what can you do to reduce your carbon footprint? Well, if you drive your big truck hundreds of miles from Denver to climb up into the mountains to fish and then go back down and then complain about climate change or you do your trip every year to Alaska and then your trip to Chile in the winter time and blah, blah, blah. You're not, you, you, you're, you're kind of a hypocrite, right? I, I, that's how I started to feel about it. I used to travel all over the world. I loved it. I wouldn't trade it for the, for anything, but uh, I haven't been traveling as much. I think that one of the things we can do for climate change in our habits is to appreciate fishing closer to home and to appreciate the, 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 like you said, the pond, the river, if it's trout, if it's bass, if it's carp, if it's whatever, different species, different things. But 
appreciate being outside in the fresh air and the birds chirping and the sun shining down on you. And no, you don't have to be in Argentina to have that happen. Um, you know, I'm not saying don't ever go on a once of a lifetime trip or, or aspire to do those things, but there are companies that, uh, do travel that, you know, have carbon offsets and, and things like that. And there are, there are ways to travel responsibly, but actually the thing that you can do right now in terms of your habits and practices is appreciate your home water. Appreciate your home water more. Hollowed waters that grow right in your backyard. And we just drive over them a lot of times to go to those big destinations, you know? That's right. That's so right. It's, that's it's, right. Uh, it's another thing. You know, we're, we're looking at a lot of soul searching. We're looking at ourselves too. I mean, I've traveled all over the world. I've done it. And now I, I, my, I get geeked up on going fishing this little tiny big old spring creek down the road from me or fishing in front of my place. You know, it's, it, it is what it is. And uh, I think it's once again, the development of angler. Where are you in that whole path? Where do you fit in? What do you want out of this whole thing? And I think that's, that's the most amazing thing. Uh, we're going to get into another very hot topic right now um, is um, nativism, the nativism movement. And I know you were on a podcast, I think, with Kirk D. Uh, no, excuse me, you're Kirk Dieter, uh, Tom Rosenbauer's podcast. And then, you know, um, people said, oh, man, they're talking about nativism. And I've had Bob Mallard. And I did a very riveting podcast with Bob Mallard, who's in charge of the Native Fish Coalition. And and um, I'm going to have one of his assistants on in a week or so. Um, but where do you stand on the whole thing? Where do you stand on 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 playing God with fish that swim, uh, ones that should be there, ones that don't belong there, uh, killing wild brown trout for bonding, bounty money because they shouldn't be there? Uh, there are just too many rainbows in the cutthroat, so we need to filter them all out. Um, we've gotten a little crazy with this and we've gotten to the point of extremism and and we have now in our crazed politically correct world and our world that we have the ability to control everything with a swipe to the left or the right um, and a thumb up and a thumb down. Um, I'm at the belief that every trout is sacred. If a trout is wild and it's there, God bless it. We should, worship the shit out of it because we're going to come to a day where we're not going to have any trout. And if this keeps going, we have rivers, you know, and the theory is, well, if it's a brook trout river, there shouldn't be any other thing because that's where they were needed to be intended. So if brown trout and rainbow star come in, they're, they're, they're exotic, invasive. They should be called. They should be getting another. So, yeah, I mean, it, that it's getting a little out of control. And I, I was very staunch with Mallard on my podcast. And I said, I'm not going to buy it. The bottom line is, uh, fish can, given the fact, given good habitat, they can all get along. Can can people get along? That's yet to be determined because it's not happening right now. Okay. But fish can get along given the proper habitat because the brook trout will be in the upper stretches in very shallow water, which they love anyways. The brown trout will be down in the lower, slower pools in the carp water. And rainbows will look at the, the combination of both and being those faster riffles. And so it's all, it, uh, you have rivers, like the Paramarquette, where you have your summer home. That's a perfect example. You got, it's a tremendous wild brown trout fishery. It has wild rainbows and it has an incredible wild steelhead fishery. It has an incredible wild king salmon fishery. In the headwaters, it still has little wild brookies way up in, in you know, up in, up in Sanborn Creek and way up there, up in the upper middle branch and, and stuff. It, it can happen. But it's the habitat. But instead, we come in and try to call everything out and say, we're going to kill all these fish because they don't belong there. Trout Unlimited, where are you guys at this? And we got a question from a very interesting gentleman that wants to challenge you guys on what you're doing with it. But 
Where is Trout Unlimited in this whole thing? Well, Trout Unlimited stance, and I got to be careful when I do speaking for Trout Unlimited because that's what I got in the uh, the podcast with Rosenbauer, and I said these are my opinions, and yet people. Well, let's do Kirk Dieter's opinion. Let's do Kirk Dieter. Forget about the Trout Unlimited. I'll I'll do Kirk Dieter's opinion and a Trout Unlimited's opinion are the same as native first where native fish are wild second. And then anything after that is fine. As long as it doesn't impede the first two, I wouldn't advocate for stocking brown trout over wild cutthroat trout. I wouldn't advocate for, you know, whatever I native first wild second, anything after that, as long as it doesn't mess with the first two. That said, consider for context, and you, you're you a kindred spirit with me on this because you know where I'm from. I was born and raised on the Great Lakes, probably the most manipulated fish ecosystem in the history of the world with, you know, introduction of Pacific salmon and steelhead and the invasive things that have come in, the gobies, the carp now up on Beaver Island. You know, the perch fishing isn't what it was when I was a child there. You know, like lake trout is different than it was. The brown trout introduced in 1884 or thereabouts and, uh, you know, put in little creeks uh, and, and so in Baldwin, there's a there's a freaking statue of a brown trout, right? Yep. What what some of these folks who are like I'm all for native advocacy or whatever, but when you when you say that you know, that no river is healthy or productive unless it's completely devoid of not native species, I think that's not in line with how I feel. Uh, as, as a person who grew up in Michigan and reveres brown trout. Okay. I, 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 I've come to embrace them just like, you know, you know, my family came from Europe in the 1880s and I consider brown trout to be kind of a, a reflection of my heritage uh, growing up in the upper Midwest and so forth. So it's insulting for someone to say, invasive icky brown trout should be gone from everywhere and it pisses me off okay i'll be honest with you yeah technically by rule you know, by letter of the law does brown trout interfere with other fish and are they invasive because they outcompete fish yeah technically by scientific definition they are invasive in some ways but but they're also the what is scenario so for me wild brown trout in Michigan are are special and it's insulting for those who assail that uh, and, and try to apply their uh, standards on those of us who've come to like brown trout. Um, that's just how I feel about that. And, and for that matter, come to like the steelhead that run from the Lake Michigan up the Pier Marquette or like the salmon that you catch out in the Great Lakes or like the, you know, you know, I, I I I have little patience for those who will jump down my throat for appreciating what I grew up with. Amen, so. amen. And I thank you for liking my Nexus book. And uh, that's what I wrote. That's why I wrote. You know, uh, it's my heritage because I lived in a in a farm as a little boy for a couple of years in Poland and watched these brown trout and these Atlantic salmon, these sea run brown trout run around this pool like they were kindred souls. Fish can get along, and if it's all about habitat, and we've we've effed up their habitat so badly 
with development and 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 sucking water out of, of streams and for development and things of that nature and fishing too much and pounding the piss out of these rivers 24-7. Now we're pounding the piss out of them night fishing. There was a time when brown trout had the chance to go out at night. And I don't, Tommy Lynch, don't get upset with me. I, I, night fishing is awesome. But, you know, we these fish do not get a break anymore. They, they We mouse the crap out of them. And then we hit them in the first drift boat coming in at five in the morning. And then the second shift of drift boats coming in. And then, you know, hoot owl, you know, thank God for hoot owl. It, it gives these damn fish a break, for Christ's sake. Yes, we're all part of the problem. And but we are all part of the solution too. If we start taking a good look at ourselves and saying, what do you want from this? Where are you going with this? You're obsessed with this. How do you control that obsession and how you control obsession? So we do have a trout swimming because I'm, I am deathly, I'm a glass half empty guy because the way we are going at the rate we're going with climate change and what we're doing, there's, we're going to be lucky to have a trout swimming here shortly guys. And it's, and then wild trout are going to become a thing of the past. And, and, you know, and maybe state agencies want to stock more fish, you know? If if there is a trout swimming, it's probably going to be a brown trout. Thank you very much. Because they're resilient. They're right? resilient. They're resilient. Absolutely. They're, you know. the tough, they're the toughest MRFers on the block. Right? They are. So they are. That's another, reason. that's another reason we love them. They're so yep. for those who criticize the brown trout, just for perspective, um, you know, brown trout, carp, other things that they, they're the pressure release valve on your sacred native fish. Because if all this focus on, on catching how big and how many and all that stuff gets gunned down right on top of the, the only the native fish, then you're really screwed. So, like, it's good to have fishery. It's good to have people um, catching fish on the bighorn, you know, and their brown trout. It's good. It's good for the person from Terre Haute, Indiana to find a, a place where there's a carp slough and exercise their fly fishing demons on those fish instead of the sacred uh, you know, brook trout in northern Wisconsin or the UP in Michigan. You know what I mean? I hear you. I hear you. All things in good measure and all things spread out. All things in good measure. And sometimes we try to create utopian things and they just don't work. And we're going to talk about that and stream improvement and, and another thing. But let's... Uh, Let's quickly jump over to, and then we're going to take a question from a uh, disruptive person because I want to talk about disruptiveness and um, the dangers of competitive fishing. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm an old timer. I'm a traditionalist. I still traditionally nymph fish Sawyer style with a floating line and, and sight fishing nymphing. I love sight fish nymphing because I love to watch trout behave to your flies and how they react to different things and how you have to precisely deal with intricacy. And But today it's Euro fishing. Euro fishing is a craze. It's a mania. Everybody's doing it. Deep water lifting or whatever you want to call it. Sometimes it's fly snagging. Sometimes whatever you want. I'm going to get shit from all the Euro guys. But I do Euro fishing too in the appropriate area where it's very, where you can do it and you need certain type of water to do it. But Euro fishing is competitive fishing based from the European competitions, the Poles, the Czechs started it, the French, the English. Um, so it's a craze now. Uh, competitive fishing, where is it going? The numbers game, qualitative versus quantitative experience. It's a qualitative it's a, it's a, it's not a qualitative, it's a quantitative experience. How much is enough? Um, you know, where are we going with this whole thing? I, I don't think 
we're in danger of it taking over because it's it's got its secluded sectors and it makes really fishy guys. I mean, there's no question. Good Euro fishermen, they'll catch more fish than anybody on the planet. But is fly fishing supposed to be a competitive trophy, wear a medal? Um, and it's all cool stuff. Don't get me wrong. I, I've done articles about it. I, I, I give those people the highest value. But um, how do you feel about competitive fishing? Is it is it uh, is it that action sport that we now worship? Fly fishing is now an action sport. It's like biking, mountain climbing, rappelling, uh, skydiving, uh, jumping off a building to kill yourself is an action sport today. Uh, what what the hell's going on? I mean, we've become these crazed Romans in the Colosseum once again, <laughs> looking for something to give us a oh wow! I'm gonna put put a big love and a like on Facebook and Instagram with that one. What where, where does competitive fishing fit in all this? And is it good for the sport? Is it good for a fishery? Uh, look at the Bass Pro yeah. tournaments. They come in and rip the shit out of a piece of water. Um, or is yeah. it, or they become conservationists. How do you feel? How does Trout Unlimited feel? What's your take? So I, I have mixed feelings on this. I've covered, you know, some of my favorite stories I ever did was covering the Bass Master Classic for Field and Stream. And, um, you know, there's a lot of hype. There's a lot of, it gets a lot of people fired up. And, and I have great, a lot of really good friends um, who are into the, the world championships of fly fishing and blah, blah, blah. But great people. I've never been, you know, and I love them. They're good people and they've got good intentions. I've just never really been into it myself. I've never been good at it myself. And maybe that's part of the reason, you know, um, I don't know. I, I think that here are, we've been talking for this time about, trying to get people to look around and experience more and appreciate more of the birds flying and the people they're with and the fresh air and, and an, a beautiful fish and look at the scales and, you know, the Euro nymph technique, which by the way is a Texas rig for trout crappie, or crappie, crappie rig. Crappie rig. I, I fish a crappie rig, which is a Euro rig, but I've been fishing crappie rigs for before they even Vladi and the Polish guys even came actually I witnessed, and I talk about it in my um, Nexus book, I witnessed the start of Euro fishing in, 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 the, in Zakopane, in, in, the, in the Polish uh, Carpathians. But uh, crappie, you always say Texas rig, which is good. I said to interject, it's a crappie rig, but now it's a Euro rig. Okay, go ahead. That's okay. Anyway, it's, it's, a, it's a weighted rig for fish that's been used for a lot of different fish a lot of different ways. Um, I have a, I have, you know, the whole purpose of it is to catch as many fish as possible so you can score as many points. And I just don't think we need people scoring points for some imaginary competition in their brain when they go out. I mean, I've done Euro fishing. It's an interesting technique to try. Like you said, in certain places, it's fine. But I also kind of think it's like, you know, if you look at a competitive archer's bow, like an Olympic archer's bow, um, that's highly specialized equipment or, or an Olympic, you know, air rifle compared to, you know, a de- your deer rifle. I mean, I'm for, you know, a, a, a Euro fishing rod, a specific, uh, do you need to pet spend 900 bucks for a supplies? Yeah, I, th- I think that's marketing hype. And I think that you like, people get sucked into that stuff. And if you allow yourself to get sucked into that, that's fine. I mean, if, you, if, if it's fun and you got the money, go for it. But I don't think it's, I don't, I don't think it's anything 
revolutionary. I don't think it's anything necessarily good. And it just kind of runs counter to hopefully getting people to lift their head up and look around instead of focus on gagging. On a cider. On a cider. And you know what? It's it's very effective fishing. I got a lot of great friends, Tori Collins and and Nanda and those guys out on the farming team, they just love it. And it's wonderful. And it's a great way of fishing. And and God bless every, everybody needs to find their own realm of happiness. And if we could find a realm, if you're a dry fly guy, you love it. If you're a streamer guy, you love it. If you're a right. hero guy, you love it. Um, I think in the all, I'm going to say kumbaya and let's hold hands and let's eat some s'mores by the campfire and get drunk and uh, <laughs> mainly get drunk for the hell with the s'mores. It just causes diabetes. You know, if you take alcohol and s'mores, you're going to be a diabetic quickly. Um, but you know, the bottom line is, um, whatever finds your happiness, but all the time, keeping in mind, it's all about the fish. And if we go pound those fish 24 seven, stuffing a Euro nymph in their mouth, another paradon nymph and jamming it down their throats because it's so effective. Well, that great, but that guy could only get hooked so many times. Okay. And then eventually you get to a trout stream where the fish are so slinked out. I see these pictures of these Pennsylvania fish that are so slinked out. Why do they look so skinny? This should be a healthy spring creek. There should be, because they're getting bombed 24-7. Every time they turn around to get a bite to eat, boom, they got a nymph stuffed in their mouth from a Euro rig. So, I mean, sorry, I'm not trying to offend anybody, but it's fact. So let's go out and catch a couple fish and be very happy for catching a few fish. Do we have to catch 30, 40, 50? When does it all end? That's the whole gist. I think if you get down to the gist of this whole podcast, that's where we're going at. Let's pay attention to fish. Let's pay attention we'll to slow that. Down. Yeah. We need to catch 24 because John did, he did 37 yesterday and Mike did 20. Yeah, you're, you're going to catch a numbers. The whole art of Euro nymphing is based on numbers and measuring length of fish to win a competition. And if that, if we're going to competitively beat the crap out of every piece of water today, then we're not going to have these fish anymore. We have to smell the reality, the tolerable reality right now is our trout streams are hanging on by a thread because we have just added to the, the effery. And there's a K in that effery word, but of what is going on on these trout streams today. So uh, it's just things for us to think about. Disruptive conservations. Okay, let's talk about that before we take a couple of questions because we're getting close to the end here. Um, I, I'm a very disruptive person. I admit it. You can ask my wife. She wants to whack me over the head with a pot. Okay. You know, that's just my nature. I've always been that way. Um, I, I, my, my local TU don't like me very much because I've been very critical about what they do. Um, a lot of times I think TU, and I'm going to be a little critical about TU as much as I, as much as great work that TU has done. Um, they have done equally amount of bad work and, are, do they embrace disruptive people? Do they really want people to tell them what to do? Um, or is TU banquet dollars and picnics and feel good stories? And, you know, I, I've sometimes felt that TU, I've been awarded by them in the past. And now I feel like I'm just shunned because I'm constantly pushing the envelope. I'm constantly pushing the buttons. Uh, sometimes I feel it's just a click of who's in and who's not in. Um, the head of Michigan TU never even returns my emails. So, Okay, I know who I am. I'm not. I'm not Dean Worthy, and or I'm too disruptive. Is disruptive, controversial people uh, shamed by, or 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 totally excounded by these people because we don't fit into the mold? Is our society today uh, so 
in a in a fine line, a parameter, a box where if you step out of those parameters, you are labeled as disruptive. Uh, I hate to tell it, tell it to you and readers out there and listeners, but disruptive conservationists have always been the one that have gotten things done. They have been the ones that have been shunned. They've been told, get the hell out of here. We don't want to hear your crap anymore. Disruptive individuals in society as a whole and in civilization as a whole have gotten things done. Do you think going into this next question from this gentleman, a friend of mine, and, and he's been on my podcast, but um, do you think disruptive people and disruptive conservation, people ask what if or what, why can't we, or why can't we do it? State agencies and, 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 and government agents always, there's one word on the, on the, on the door of every state and governmental agency. And that's a two word word says no, 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 no. Do you think Trout Unlimited does a good enough job of embracing disruptive conservationists or is it, does it have its parameters like any organization and anybody deemed disruptive is not considered to be good for the long-term effort? What's your take? Well, you know me. I mean, I'm here. I'm we're, we're here talking. And that's uh, pretty you know, disruptive. We're talking pretty disruptive right now. <laughs> right. Right. So, uh, you know, and, and I've never been afraid to say what I think inside the organization or not. I've never personally had a problem. Um, and they know, they've known, they knew what they were getting into when they hired me 11 years ago. Um, I've never, I've never been muzzled or felt like that. Um, you know, a big organization, you know, it's a, it's a big, it's a big organization. There are a lot of volunteers. There's a lot of staff now. There's, it's a big organization. Sometimes I say it's, it's, you know, it, and like any organization, there's, there's growing pains and there's people who don't always agree on different things, but I'm, I'm all for, you know, my, my mom told me early on that I was born with two ears and one mouth for a reason. So I'm all for listening to different perspectives and being, you know, disruptive, as long as it's not harmful, disruptive, or um, belittling, or any of that stuff, um, sometimes it is frustrating from a TU perspective when we get criticized by people. You know, TU does a lot uh, nationwide in terms of literally our science, our boots in the water. You know, literally fixing stuff. There are a lot of groups that advocate or tell you how to think. But there are not as many who actually get in the water and fix things, and we do. So that's something that we want to keep a focus on. It sometimes hurts my feelings when people uh, take a swipe with you. Not perfect. Nobody's perfect. I'm not perfect. The organization's not perfect. But as long as we're trying to move, advance the agenda in the right direction, I think we're going to be okay. So that's how I feel about that. Um, I don't know why anyone would be uh, snotty to you, Matt. I oh I come know on, you my mother's yeah, had, had, bar, my mother's had a bar of soap. My mother's had a bar of soap in my mouth. And you know what? One ear by uh, by a pair pair of let's, let's go back to the let's go back to the example a couple years ago, where you know you, you basically wrote and said that I was completely full of shit and didn't know what I was talking about on the fish out of water stuff and blah 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 blah. And what did I do? I wrote you right back. I said, well, you know, I, I kind of think you're full of shit on this too, but like, let's figure out a way to, to 
do this. And here we are two years later talking about it on a podcast and kind of pointed in the same direction, right? We are pointed in the same direction. To me, that's that's the process. That's the community. That's the that's the that's the beauty of fly fishing at work. That's that's what it's all about. It's not just my way or the highway or all about me or my ego. Or, and amen. that's what we've been talking about this whole podcast. Amen, amen. That's why I have a crush on you, Kirk. And I know you have a, <laughs> and I know you have a crush on me. And you don't want to see what I'm wearing. Yeah, right that's now. right. You could see on Zoom. Crush. Oh, right. baby. Getting juicy here. I'm all excited. I got to calm down. Um, so listen, uh, the next question is from Eric R. from Perry County, Pennsylvania. And you might even know Eric R. And Eric is a very outspoken, disruptive person like me. And I promised him I'd read his question for you. And Eric, um, uh, is he started a movement in Pennsylvania. And, he, and I'm going to read his, read his long question here, but I'm going to try to get to the gist because we'll sit here for two hours reading Eric. Eric likes to talk a lot. Um, Kirk, are you aware of three Trot Unlimited members outside of Action of TU that brought successful two men to regulation accomplishing the protection of wild trout through catch and release regulations for almost half the year over 80,000 miles of flowing water? If the answer is no, Richard Lewis of Adams County, Russ Collins of Doc Fritchie, Baba, Eric Richards of Cumberland Valley's chapter pushed for and um, petitioned for. When is it clear the Pennsylvania Fish Commission was going to move on PATU? have a special policy meeting with uh, uh, discuss, answer the questions of inaction when given the opportunity to support the client. I, Eric, personally called the national president, Chris Wood, on two occasions. He understood that we were doing and why. Why didn't you know about it? Doesn't Eric contact you about it? So basically, I'm going to cut to the chase here. Sorry, Eric, this one's a long one. But they did an incredible thing. Um, They got protection for wild brown trout and rainbow trout or whatever swimming in these marginal trout stream waters. Um, Eric got TUTU originally gave him a lot of crap, didn't really care about it. You probably heard about it. Right now there is regulations that in the close, in the close, there's a close season now for migratory browns, rainbows, brook trout that venture into marginal trout rivers that are not deemed trout rivers. And in the past, what happens and I'm, a, I'm hot on marginal trout rivers too. And that's a big bone with me to pick. Um, do we, the, what they, he basically had to go through hurdles and hoops and, and get people involved and people gave him crap about it and said, you're crazy. That's a marginal trout. So we're only interested in Latorte and big spring, but we're not interested in the Canada Gwinnett and the streams like that. So basically he got protection for these migratory Loch Laven brown trout that come out of the Latour and the Big Spring and the Falling Spring in Cumberland Valley, migrate into bigger waters, the Cana de Gwinnett, the Susquehanna, bass water, carp water, hot water that have no protection for trout. And in the wintertime, there's a guy out there with a pala clobbering 25-inch wild brown trout on a stringer and taking them home and throwing them in the back of his pickup truck with NRA stickers and letting them rot in the garbage can because he got too drunk on beers the next day and didn't clean them. And here you got these precious wild fish that could be only a dozen of them left to procreate a certain wild trout stream were getting whacked because they're not in designated trout water. So I have a problem that Trout Unlimited does not give the time of day to rivers that are not designated by their biologists as trout water. And, and that's what Eric accomplished. So uh, um, Kirk, first question is, can you please 
do a piece on Eric because he feels so shunned and he feels so bastardized that he was not neglected. And I'm the only one covering because I like Eric and I fish with him, but that's one thing, but he did amazing thing because he showed me pictures of Sunday. They floated the the one river that all these trout run into in the wintertime because I talk about them in Nexus. They go looking for forage after they're done spawning. And if there's no forage way high up where they're spawning, they're going to migrate all the way down that river system. Look till they find those bait fish. And where you find those bait fish and all that conglomeration of good fertility is in marginal trout water that gets too hot in the summer. That's why they have fish in the wintertime. So he showed me pictures of these beautiful wild brown trout, big breeders that were caught. And if he was a, a power bait Velveeta cheese clobbering dude, they'd be dead. So he's gotten protection for those fish, but he was fought because the parameters that state TUs and national TUs work in, Oh, is it designated cold water? We got to get out of this whole designation garbage. If there's a wild trout swimming there, it needs protection. So if it doesn't fit your model of what a cold water stream should be, it's cold in the winter. And it's got them, so we better protect them because if you clobber them, we're not going to have them around. So that's what Eric did. Um, do you think we, we, we like, back to the question, are we too stuck in these parameters? Do we need to take a broader perspective? Climate change is going to change a lot of parameters. Trout are going to go looking for more foraging areas that they normally don't do. We have that problem in Yellowstone. Why are buffalo attacking humans? Why are raccoons attacking humans? Because we are operating in and out of what was established indigenous habitat boundaries. And now we're man is colliding with nature on a constant, constant frontier. So do we need to start taking a look and micromanaging each system, which I talked about earlier? I think Trout Unlimited needs to do a better job of that. And if you're out there, all the brass at Trout Unlimited, it's fact. You need to open your eyes and work outside of the parameters because the world is changing. The climate is changing. The habitats are changing. Kirk, all yours. Well, okay. So I'm going to put my editor's hat on and give you my editor's answer to that question. And this is uh, what I'm interested in. The story, the hook is marginal waters, marginal trout waters. And if that's worth talking about them and, and wild fish that get into marginal waters. Now, how we, so what I have to do as an editor, great. What happened on the, in, in, in Pennsylvania is great. That's a, that is through that lens, through that Pennsylvania lens, I need a compelling reason why the person in Denver or Bend, Oregon or Bozeman or, Madison, Wisconsin, or Grand Rapids, Michigan, cares about that angle because I have making a national magazine with national reach. So if we can land on the topic and explain it in concise terms and lay out the issue and talk about it in the context of climate change and so forth, yeah, that's a story that's worth developing and talking about. If it's reporting on uh, you know, this is what we did to save the fish in Pennsylvania, blah, blah, blah. Great. That's kind of a Pennsylvania story that should be in a Pennsylvania magazine. That's my opinion. That's my two cents. Not to de- demean the work. Congratulations. I appreciate it. I've got, I've heard from Eric on, and my, you know, Facebook and so forth. And I agree. Um, and, uh, would like to learn more about it, but, uh, let's be thoughtful about how we develop the angle so that it's of service to all the readers. 
that's what my word. That's what my job is for as editor. You know that. I'll, I'll have Eric contact you. How does that sound? Sounds good. Yeah. Well, and and it's and it's um, it's something that I think we need to to address. Not that just that issue. You're absolutely right. Looking at marginal trout streams as a whole, and I talk a lot about them and. I think we just don't give them, and I've convinced a lot of people, and, and I think Eric does, and a lot of other people in other states with other marginal trout waters. We just we 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 walk through these things with blinders on. I have a I'm fighting a consumer's power company on my river here to give us more cold water in the summer, but RTU doesn't validate it, it, it thinking it's that important. They've established you know temperature things. Do I see any studies on all the temperature things? I think we we have to, as a whole, all of us, all anglers need to work outside the box to protect and look at things in a different light than the textbook value of things. And that's where we're stuck. And that's where we get blamed for being elitists. There's elitists in science and and elitists with biologists. They, They just get stuck in those things. So enough about that subject, but I have to answer that question. I got another question, number three. From Cat, Cat M from San Francisco, California. And she says, Kirk, I love Trout Magazine. Is TU working hard to address all the problems we have in California from droughts and fires, now flooding, lack of wild steel and salmon, so many issues facing us. Are you guys affiliated with Cal Trout? Help. That's from Cat M in California. Yeah. So, TU and Caltrout are separate entities, so we do kind of work on similar projects and uh, have same goals in mind. And yes, lots going on in California. Lots, uh, you know, the we've got a big piece coming out on the Klamath. We've got our priority waters are going to be focused on in the summer issue of Trout Magazine, and there's going to be a lot of California content in there. Golden trout, uh, well, gosh, lots. There's a lot, a lot to talk about there. There's a lot of great writers. Uh, Sam Davidson just did a piece for us. Um, yeah, um, and I love being there. <laughs> so it's all interesting stuff. You count on us. We're not gonna. We're not. We're not going away. Yeah, we're gonna. We're gonna do a lot on on Cal. Wonderful. And these those people out there need a lot of help after what they've just been through now with the flooding. Um, you know, it's such a great state. I lived in, in San Francisco for a brief time when I was in the hotel business and got to fish the upper sack and, and all those places up by Shasta and the Owens and Hat Creek and, uh, excuse me, Hot Creek too, Hot Creek Ranch. Um, great people and they, they're suffering bad and they need a lot of help and a lot of embracement. We, in fly fishing, we focus East Coast, East Coast, Midwest. Sometimes Midwest is kind of a bastard child. So I live in the Midwest. We're kind of bastard, even though fly fishing was, you know, Trout Unlimited started in Michigan. It's still kind of not as, you know, Pennsylvania is where, where God lives, I think. So if you could live there, then I think that's where everything is at. But, uh, and the Catskills too. Um, so anyways, we're going to take one more break and we're going to conclude this whole thing and talk about a couple fun things. And then we're going to get into one, one minute zip clips. Um, but uh, that's it. We are with Kirk Dieter talking about some very interesting Heated, riveting, as I say, issues, but I think ones that need to be addressed, and I hope you're enjoying it. We'll be right back.
I've known Marcos at Hairline for a long time since he had his fly shop in Glen Allen in Chicago suburbs, the fly and field. Marcos was a serious, serious fly tying guru, and he had every material known to mankind imported from all over the place. Marcos has since gone to Hairline and has been there for decades now, and he's done such an amazing job of, of taking that company and taking it to the upper limit of having a one-stop place where you get the ultimate quality in hooks and materials and feathers and tinsels and designs and tubes. They pretty much have everything for the trout, the salmon, the steelhead fly fisher, the warm water fly fisher, but really they've come into their own, especially in the spay, spay area with the RX hooks, the Daiichi Alec Jackson hooks, all the intruder wires and materials by Greg Senyo, um, and importing some of the best products possible. Um, you won't go wrong by going to Hairline and seeing the product offering they have. They really have pretty much everything, and, and even in the tube section, the HMH tubing and stuff like that, they have gone to the next level. So I highly encourage you to shop at Hairline. Tell Marcos I said hi. And it is truly one of the best um, all-around places to go for looking for that special material that you're in the market for. I can't say enough good things about G. Loomis rods. They're made out in Washington State for over 30 years, and their latest NRX series are absolute bombs. Steve Rajeff uh, designed these Apex Beasts that are just amazing. Uh, their new uh, Nano Silka um, resin system uh, is so amazing that it makes them so much lighter and they can cast with so much more power throughout the whole rod. Um, the lightness and, and the power generates are so much more important for the line speed. And, and especially if you're doing Scandi tapers, underhand casting with sinking heads, um, deep dredging skagits um, with, with heavier um, weighted intruders. Um, they do it pretty much all. And even with floating lines, like in long belly, uh, traditional spay casting, uh, the stamina for these rods and the long anchors in this traditional style is amazing. Um, they're very rich looking and I highly recommend them as does my friend Tom Larimer, their representative out on the West Coast. So ask for G. Loomis rods when you go to your fly shop or visit them online at G. Loomis, but you won't be disappointed. Um, their, their, their whole technology is taking off and it's just simply amazing. If you're a serious spay fisherman and a swinger, uh, you're going to really enjoy these rods. Hello, listeners. As publisher of Hollowed Waters Journal, I'm really proud to bring you this magazine that we've put together and we've been going really strong for the last year. Uh, our accolade-winning and amazing in-depth issues full of sumptuous photography, fly patterns, and extensive tactical information can be purchased individually now in our archive series for you to read and reread over and over. We treat each topic and article as a mini Bible on a subject that you will explore with your passion and journey for trout, salmon, and steelhead fly fishing. And we'll hopefully rethink your relationship with these fish and make you fly addicted for life. Northern Magazine has the content and depth as Hollowed Waters Journal. Find out what you've been missing. 
and come to hollowedwaters.com today and subscribe. Welcome back, listeners. Thanks for hanging in there with us, um, two old white dudes trying to recreate the world of fly fishing, but we're having fun and we're hopefully um, giving you some things to nibble on and think about as you go about your your wonderful passion and journey into fly fishing and all the things. But, you know, things that I think need to be addressed, things that aren't addressed, people don't want to talk about them because they're emotional they're controversial, they're disruptive. And we talked about disruptive people, but you know, um, I think what we all could be is just take a good look at ourselves, but most importantly, respect the fish, respect the habitat, respect nature. And if you do that, you put your love into that, your whole journey in, in, in fly fishing is going to take on so much more of a juicy reward. It's going to, you know, you look at the history of the flies, the books that were written, the artwork that is done, that's why, you know, in how it was, I, I, I give all that so much attention that stuff that's not supposed to sell. People don't want to read that. People don't want to see that. And, and Kirk does it with Trout Magazine. He does a lot of beautiful stuff on, you know, uh, the whole story of the fish and what they're going through. I think if we focus on that, I think, and if more people do that in, in a respect level, in a humble level of looking at the fishery and being what... And, and allowing nature to unfold and protecting, I think you'll you'll enjoy your fishing. It's just like stop to smell the rose roses and walk slower and 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 talk about and forage along the river. Don't just think you got to catch twenty trout before you get to the next pool. Stop and look around you. Maybe you might find some edibles. Maybe you might. I one of my favorite things to do here in the summer is I backpack into these little wild rivers up in the Huron Manistee National Forest from me. And we we pick berries and we and we find wild mosh and all kinds of little lettuces and we get watercress and we make cool salads and you know the, 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 there's so much more to offer than just focusing on getting the next fish and taking another picture of the next fish and being a hero and being famous and all that stuff. That's just it's so boring and, and mundane after a while, to be honest with you. But if you need it, go get it. But eventually you'll find out, hey. Can I get, it's a drug. It's an addiction. This is, this is a dope. Um, and, and the dope just gets more sweeter when you just savor every little morsel of it and analyze it and enjoy it. And, uh, you know, I'm going to talk that we're going to end up here quickly, but, um, let's talk food. And I post lately, I'm just so sick of tired of posting pictures of fish and stuff. So I post a lot of pictures of food, um, and foraging while you're on a trout stream, get some foraging books, mushrooms, dude. Uh, you know, the stuff you could pick on the side of the mushrooms is is crazy. Uh, our buddy up in Vermont, Rosenbauer, he's a fanatical wild mushroom hunter. He picks these red chanterelles in the fall. I can't, I rarely find red chanterelles here, but I get a lot of morels in the springtime. But learn about mycology. Learn about, you know, that stuff. Um, you know, take a food cook, cooking class. Um, you know, people, when I did find out that everybody that hunts and fishes loves to eat and loves to drink. And it's all part of that celebration. And um, I do the Epicurean Forager column and I do things like that. And, and I think that just broadens the whole experience. And if we could just learn how to broaden and take, look at a leaf and just admire that bird or that leaf, 
you know, in the, in the photography school, they said, you're going to, you're going to take pictures of a rock and I want to see different shades of rock, or you're going to write 500 words about this rock. And that's all you're going to write about is that rock in front of you. Um, I think that's where we need to go with the whole sport of fishing. Uh, Epicurean forager, where, where do you, Kirk, are you, a, are you a, a big foodie? Uh, do you do any foraging? Uh, what do you like to do when you go out in nature? I do a little bit of foraging. I, I also am a hunter. So I like to, uh, you know, the wild ducks and pheasants and uh, elk when I'm lucky enough to find an elk every once every 10 years or something. But, uh, you know, when you talk about food, I've always admired the work, again, uh, that you do in, in taking the, the time to talk about the food. Because I was thinking about this the other day, talking to my wife. I was like, you know, I remember a lot of my trips that I've taken around the world. But I don't really remember the fish as much as I remember the food. You know, you go to Chile and it's the, the sea bass and the Pisco sour drink and the Argentina asado with the chimichurri sauce. And then New Zealand is the fresh produce, you know, that you get at the farm stand and then the rack of lamb that you so eloquently put forth the other day and inspired me to make my own lamb. Uh, so... It's the food, man. It's it's the it's the fly fishing foodie. I'm telling you, that's a, that's a concept. Uh, I've talked to a lot of folks, um, you know, April Conrad, others who are food crazy. And there's something there's this community of us. We should get together and organize it a little bit better sometime. I think so. I think we could be famous cooks if we go on and do a fly fishing foodie thing. We could be, we could take it to the next level of narcissism and show us, everybody show <laughs> off their, off their dishes and be a better chef than we could be as really raunchy like Gordon Ramsay and yell at you bloody sloppy bastard are not allowed here. Jesus Christ. Are you, just, you want me to eat this crap? Anyways, but yeah. Think of the I, clicks. A, think of the clicks we could get, right? <laughs> oh God. And then we get some girls in bikinis too with it. Cooking hey, in bikinis man, or, I was thinking of a show, Cooking Naked with Welly Boots on. What do you think? <laughs> okay. Gardening with Welly Boots, naked and gardening with Welly Boots. Um, okay. One more thing I wanted to talk to you about, and then I'm going to get your closing comments. Uh, your Tasmania, when you went to Tasmania, that was yeah. a great article you wrote. And, and what you. was so fascinating about Tasmania, and you said you saw brown trout jumping out of the bank, look up on trying to get pollywogs or something. I mean, tell us yeah. a little bit about Tasmania, because you and I both love brown trout. And, and um, um, are you still planning on doing a book of brown trout? That's the one I started to do on my uh, sabbatical, and I ended up doing this column instead. But I do want to do a brown trout book uh, eventually. i got to let it round into form. But Tasmania is where the first brown trout were introduced before they ever came to America or anywhere else. And it took 10 years of trial and error. They were trying to get Atlantic salmon there. Um, and they threw the trout eggs in as an afterthought. And they made it to Tasmania. And uh, they, they the salmon went out to sea and never came back, but the brown trout did. The brown trout... Some became sea runs, some became uh, inhabitants of the rivers. But the fisheries in Tasmania are so unexpected for me. Of, of all the trips that I've taken, um, you know, and I've been in New Zealand. New Zealand's wonderful, just absolutely amazing. But Tasmania was a little bit different. And you got to see how adaptive brown trout are. There are these highland lakes. Some of them are very shallow. And you see them, it's like cruising bonefish. 
Um, but they're six, seven pound brown trout. And so in one case at night, I was out with Chris Wisniewski, who works for Inland Fisheries, and we watched a wake. It was like a, a missile, like a torpedo, pound into the brush. Wait, along the wait side a second. Let me interrupt. Chris Wisniewski. Why do I know that? Why do I know that name? He's, he's, he wrote, he's wrote a book, hasn't he? He's written some books. Uh, he's Inland Fisheries, so he's like their okay. um, their um, he's our communications guy. He, okay, okay, great. And and there, it's it's like going fishing with the game wardens. I mean, they're they're manic about it. The culture there is so behind the trout and the fishery. The way they manage that and the way they promote it, it's awesome. Like. But it's it's so unspoiled. It's so untouched. Not many people go there. I think New Zealand sells like 25,000 foreigner licenses a year back before COVID. This is pre-COVID numbers. And like Tasmania is like 500. So it's wide open. But I was watching this pond with him one night and see this wake and these missile like and they go into the bushes and what what are they doing? They're trying to shake the frogs off the off the leaves. Holy so shit. Eat them. You know, like, what kind of a resilient, adaptive, interesting fish does that? You know, like, how can you not just like the brown, brown trout? Just the oh. brown trout. They're such beautiful beasts. True to sources. Wow. That's so cool. That's so cool. Right. And how can you not like that? You know, how can yeah. you not respect that? Yeah. So, as an angler, as a fan of nature, I don't know. And it's last plug for Tasmania. You should go there if you ever get a chance. Anyone should. It's, it's far. It's a hard trip, but it's like the cleanest air in the world. Yeah. Really, because, you know, there's nothing. The trade winds come over the ocean, open ocean. It's beautiful people, wonderful people. Beautiful people. I ended up lawn bowling in Hobart with the with the inland fisheries crew <laughs> at their holiday party one year. And I, I was oh, terrible yeah. lawn bowler, but just having beers and bowling. And uh, Hobart is an awesome city. Launceston, Launceston, Launceston is an amazing city as well. Super yeah. cool place. Super cool. Great, place. great. And, and for those of you listeners, um, um, Gordon Ramsay did a really good uh, show on Tasmania in, in his Uncharted series when he went around and cooked in different places. Uncharted by Gordon Ramsay. I think it's on uh, National Geographic Channel or one of those, the Food Network, but he he goes around, I think National Geographic, and he went to Tasmania. He went fly fishing for brown trout in Tasmania, yeah. and he took the chefs, went foraging in all these great places, and the food there, I mean, it's a really great place. I, that's one of my destinations, and I'm going to hit that, and I'm going to hit you up for some info. So, closing comments, uh, we've talked a hell of a lot today. I'm sure we're going to get a hell of a lot of emails. Uh, if we've offended anybody, I apologize. I always say to my clients before I get in the boat with them, I'm not politically correct. I'm going to say a few F-bombs. I might things come up, but I'm going to apologize in advance. There's no harm done. I don't mean any any disrespect or anything like that. So we said a lot, but a lot of this stuff needed to be said. And a lot of the people out there wanted to want to hear it, but no one's really addressing it because we're living in an age of fear and cynicism and we're going to get our heads chopped off. But Kirk, thank you so much for making this happen. And, uh, uh, do you have any closing comments before we get into our doers profiles, which is a favorite part of my thing is asking you all these funny questions. Uh, give us some closing, uh, give us some words from the preacher before we get in our cars and drive off and run over to McDonald's well, after church. Just to say again, I think, I think the glass is half full and I think that we can do, we can control our own destiny. If we just think more about each other and sharing resources, there's a lot that can be done. 
Uh, I'm excited about the chances ahead. I appreciate the chance to talk to you. And most importantly, I'm hoping that we get to fish together finally when we get, and I get back to Michigan sometime this summer. So for uh, sure, for sure. That's going to happen. And uh, great having you. So now one minute zip clips. Um, I'm going to ask you a bunch of doers profiles. I always used to like the doers profiles in the back of, and then at the end, you have to always say, and your favorite scotch doers, of course. But uh, so what is your all time favorite movie? Uh, Rocky. Oh, Rocky. I love it. All time favorite book, non fly fishing. Mm, to kill a mockingbird. All time favorite book, fly fishing. Mm, a habit of rivers. What if I caught you fishing tomorrow in the summertime in Colorado? What rod, reel, and fly line would you be using? I'd be using a Scott centric eight and a half foot four weight graphite rod with a probably an airflow bandit line and probably fishing a dry fly. If you had one fly to fish in a one fly competition and one fly that if you only were sent to hell, heaven or hell and you were only allowed to fish the rest of your life with one fly, what fly would that be? Muddler minnow. Muddler minnow, the ultimate sculpin muddler minnow. God bless you. Um, fluorocarbon or monofilament guy? Monofilament. Okay, old school. I like that. Um, what is your favorite libation? Irish whiskey. Ah, you're another Irish whiskey guy. Uh, Dr. Bob Bachman was an Irish whiskey guy too. 90-year-old Dr. Bob Bachman. What kind of Irish? What's your brand? Oh, once a year, I'll get a bottle of Middleton's Very Rare. Um, very, very expensive, but I like I like it. So, beer. Uh, What's your favorite, favorite beer? Miller High Life, because it reminds me of junior high school. There you go. Miller, Milwaukee. Isn't that Milwaukee made famous? Miller Miller High Life. That's still a damn good beer. Uh, favorite wine? Malbec. Ah, Malbec. Yes, sir. Um, if you had one dish, only one dish that you had to make for the last time before the world exploded through a nuclear holocaust, what would it be? Shrimp and andouille jambalaya. Ah, oh, bam. Oh, Emerald Bam guy. I love it. And do it. Um, and finally, um, if you had one place, destination that you just can't, couldn't get enough of, and you would be back there in a heartbeat. I think I know where you're going with this one, but. Yeah, Tasmania. Amen. Tasmania. Okay. Well, folks, that is it. We got through this. We haven't gotten shot at or killed or. Yell that. I'm sure people are going to do that eventually. But, Kirk, thank you so much for your time. This was so exciting. I really enjoyed doing it. Um, it's great to talk casually uh, about issues that need sometimes need to be addressed. But um, we hope all the listeners enjoyed it as much as Kirk and I have. And please keep your wonderful letters coming in, and we love having them. And uh, uh, thank you to all you subscribers. You guys are growing and making this podcast a fun informative the cognito ergo sum i think therefore i am podcast because fly fishing people like to think 
and God bless. Let's have fun doing it. So that's it. All I have to say, thank you very much for listening. Stay tuned for the next chapter where we will go to galaxies and other planets to explore all these great things in the world of trout, salmon, and steelhead. Thus, arrivederci. Auf Wiedersehen. Dovizenia. Das Vidania. Ciao. Adios. Until tomorrow. Goodbye. Well done, Captain. We did it.